Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo, Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat episode 433, or should I say, hey, listen. Oh. I'm joined today by Parrish Schneider, da, 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 da. Sam Claiborne, hey everybody. and Casey DeFridis. Now, you're looking at this desk and you're probably wondering, uh, what are they going to talk about today? <laughs> well, good news, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And why is that? Um, that's because 
This game's turning 20 this month. Oh my god. Which is absolutely insane. Um, it's a super important game to all of us on this panel. I hand selected you because you're the biggest Ocarina of Time fans that I know, and also you were here and available. So, <laughs> a little double whammy. But no, it's really good to have you guys on the show. I'm really excited to talk about this game. We're gonna do some deep dives into, uh, the development of this game, the uh, legacy, things like that. So um, I really wanted to do a special episode for Ocarina because it's one of my all-time favorite games. And I know that uh, it's a really important game, not only to IGN, but to uh, Nintendo fans at large. Yeah, 20 years ago, did you do a podcast when this game came out? I did, yeah. <laughs> no. Pair. It was, yeah. It was, nobody no, had, you were looking at me, did? though. <laughs> nobody had invented pods yet. Okay, so there's no pods at the no, time. No but there was a website, we, right? We didn't even have smartphones. Yeah, there was a website. And a review. We reviewed it. IGN64.com. Then? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So quickly before we get started, I do want to give the audience a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you're an audio only fan, you might want to jump in and watch um, the video version of this because we're going to have a lot of supplemental video footage this time around. Uh, we have some cool stuff like, you know, video features and stuff like that that's going to work their way into this episode. Nice. Um, also, uh, a second video disclaimer. Uh, if you're out there and you're watching this episode and you're mad because we're playing the uh, 3DS trailer when we should be playing the original trailer or looking <laughs> at 3DS footage when we're talking about Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo 64, get out of here with that. I don't care. It's going to be great. They're essentially the same game. No big deal. So just roll with the The shield punches, is right? different. The shield is different, but also it was much easier to pull footage from the 3DS version yep. because it looks so much better than the whatever 480, 360p version and, of the And original. Navi's less annoying, so it doesn't take as much time. It's the game we remember. True. It's not the game it was, but it's the game yeah, we remember totally in our heads what that's it right. looked like. We're going to talk a little bit more about that version later on, but yep. I did want to start by talking about uh, this game in terms of legacy for IGN because it was possibly our first 10 out of 10 <laughs> review. Uh, I did want to uh, go ahead and, and let you kind of explain a little bit about that review, but I also I, I put down a quote here, and I'd like you to do your best Per Schneider impersonation and read this quote from uh, your review. Your right, review. Right now? Back in 98, yeah. Okay, so you want me to do uh, Per Schneider in 1998, yeah? Uh-huh. Okay. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time should be recommended playing for every aspiring video game designer and programmer mm. out there. If you're making games and you haven't played this game, then you're like a director who has never seen Citizen Kane. Or, or a gremlins. musician. Or Gremlins? Yeah. Or, I forgot Gremlins. <laughs> or a musician who has never heard of Mozart. If you're a gamer looking for your next title to buy, then take it from me. This is as good as it's going to get for a long time. So I just learned two things about you. What? One, in 1998, you were much more German. Yeah, super German. Yeah, very, very German. Um, two, uh, a little prone to hyperbole, maybe, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. 1998. I, no, nothing well, has changed. that's one review where you go back and you're probably like, well, I don't really regret giving it that high of a praise. Yeah, like you'll go back to a review of, like, Shadow Man or something, and you'll be like, mm, I'm going to take out some adjectives. Which we also gave a perfect like, 10 No, we did but. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, hey, w- so, was this game not a 10 originally? It was a 10. Are you sure? Yeah. I wrote down here that it's... So in our re-review on the 3DS version, our friend Rich George, friend Mm -hmm. of the show, he says in in the body of his review, this is the first 10 out of 10 that IGN gave. However, (laughs) Pear seems to disagree. Pear, tell us a little bit about that. Well, here's the thing. So IGN actually, uh, as a network, launched on the day the N64 came out, which was the uh, release of Super Mario 64. Mm. And we had a different rating scale like uh, back then. We actually had little, we had like little hats and star ratings depending on the website. And Super Mario 64 got a perfect rating at the time. In okay. hats? Because I think it was five, five hats. hats. I'm trying to remember if it was ten or I think it was five what hats. What kind of hats are we talking? Mario this, hats. Okay. Yeah, and that yes. game was Mario hats. In this game, it's like little green floppy hats. There was no, there was no such thing. We changed the rating scale and we actually adjusted some of the scores. 
stores back then. Nobody cared. Now people would freak out, of course, if you did anything like that. And right. There were no review aggregator sites. And so we uh, we actually, I think we gave Mario 64 9.8 um, in hindsight when we redid our scale for these these really young websites. When Ocarina of Time came out, it was our first 10 because we had no other game in our record. In mm. our database that had 10. That had a 10 out of yeah. 10. But that's technically, cool. it's a little cheating. So 10, 10 with an asterisk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The first 10 with an asterisk. Yeah, but right. still a, yep. a 10 out of 10 game. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to start by talking a little bit about uh, our first experience with Ocarina of Time. Um, Pear, I feel like your experience is probably the most interesting because I feel like none of us were in the media at the time. Yeah. So we're going to... We're all little kids that got this as gifts. We're going yeah. to wrap with you, but I'm going to start on the end of the table here with Casey. Yes, Casey, please. tell me a little bit about your, your first experience with Ocarina. Man, so... Backtrack a little bit. I had a Nintendo 64 specifically uh-huh. because I wanted to play Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Snap. That's the only reason I had a 64. And I think for my birthday or Christmas in 1999, my grandpa gave me Ocarina of Time because it said like game of the had that game of the year seal. Mm. Um, and I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of this before. I mean, I didn't re- read magazines or anything. I was nine. Sure. <laughs> and I when I finally started playing it. I got hooked immediately. I got into the Deku tree um, and I got stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And Shoot so, the ladder. And my friend, <laughs> yes, that was actually where I got stuck. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. there you where go. I got yeah. stuck. Put that in every guide. Yeah. And I um, ended up asking my parents uh, for this strategy guide. Classic. Mm-hmm. From Nintendo Power. Yeah. Because my friends had Nintendo Power and there was an ad for this in there. Okay. And that enabled me to get all the way to the Water Temple. Where you and, got um, stuck again. Where I got stuck right. again. <laughs> uh, Sam? What? All right. So I was a Mario kid. I didn't like Zelda because I liked Mario. I know that doesn't make any sense. But in my Kids friend group, that's that was the situation. Yeah. So I didn't play many Zelda games. I played a little bit of A Link to the Past. Like I rented it, played about half. Uh-huh. So I didn't play the Zelda game, and I, then I actually had stopped playing games altogether. Didn't have a PlayStation. Didn't have a Nintendo sixty four. Wasn't interested in games. And uh, went to a friend's house uh, who is home from college. This is my senior year in high school, uh, or maybe no, it's my junior year. What was it? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he came home and he had this game and I went, I was at his house with a couple other friends and we watched him play it for a long time mm-hmm. and the one thing I remember is running from Lake uh, Hillier Hylia all the way to Death Mountain mm-hmm. and just saying like look how big this game is yeah. like right. that was the demo right you know and then like I thought right then there like I have to play this game and I have to get a Nintendo sixty four and I did yeah like that mm-hmm. sold me on it that and I got way way back into games after that mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it, it, it's d- absolutely the game that like connects my contemporary, you know, uh, interest in video gaming to my childhood. There's a lot to unpack there with that sentence specifically, but we'll, we'll get back to that later. Um, so I, <laughs> I had tried several times to, to get into the Zelda franchise and just could, it just didn't stick. Um, the, the idea of like going anywhere, doing anything was like too obtuse to me, like growing up playing games that had like clear objectives, like run from left to right mm-hmm. or go find this thing. Um, so I had played, uh, Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, you know, the opening couple f- areas and was like, ah, I'm not into this. And so... Had you played a JRPG yet? No. Also, yeah. That um, must have been a, a big difference. Well, so I, I had stayed away from Zelda all the way up until 2002 when I was flipping through EGM and I saw screens for The Wind Waker and mm-hmm. the cartoon style of The Wind Waker, what, like, absolutely blew my mind. And I started doing all this research on Zelda and it looked so amazing that I was like, well, there's all these other old Zelda games. Maybe I should go back and try those. And a friend of mine had a 64. Like I, 
coincidentally at the same time I had been at his house and he had his 64 in a box with a bunch of games. And so I called him and I was like, Hey, you saw that 64 in the box? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, he's going to sell it. And I was like, can I just borrow it before you sell it? I want to play this Zelda game. I played through Ocarina of Time uh, front to back twice. Wow. And then I played Majora's Mask front to back twice. So Majora's Mask yeah. was out by that time. By the time, uh, yeah, yeah, because this was 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002 maybe. Yeah, and then uh, then I went back and played all the older Zelda games, and then Wind Waker came out, and I played Wind Waker. So I kind of went backwards through Zelda, but Ocarina was the first. Did you get a strategy guide? Uh, by this time, I could look up strategy That's guides That's what online. I was thinking, is that yeah. the internet. If I got stuck, stuff. I could go to, like, game FAQs or yeah, whatever. GameFAQs yeah. had stuff, and, and IGN had facts at the time, too. And I think a, a full strategy guide that you guys had worked on. We made a PDF guide. A PDF yeah. guide. That's right. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your, your... Now, you were, at this point... Yes. ...very much in the industry. Okay. Obviously, like, tell, tell us about your first experience with Ocarina. Well, how many yeah. years had you been? So I had been probably at IGN for, like, a week and a, a year and a half or something like that. Oh, Not yeah. a week and a half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I know uh, you're over that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the same. Yeah, yeah and, um, you know, obviously covering Nintendo as a beat with uh, Matt Casamassina at the time uh, on this this year website, IGN64, which had just changed its name from, from N64.com and gotten rid of Mario hats and anything that made it look like the official website at right. the time. People, people <laughs> weren't so careful back then. And by the way, Matt wanted to be here, but he j- we just couldn't make the uh, the time work. So we'll we'll have to. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get him on at some point, though, right? Maybe the Metroid Prime anniversary or something. But, but he very much wants to come on, so we'll do that. Cool. Uh, so this was uh, in early. First of all, this game was just the most anticipated title for anyone. The moment right. the moment you played Mario sixty four, you started dreaming about what a Zelda game could be like. I'm a huge fan of a Link to the Past. Before the release of this, my favorite game of all time. And so, fast forward to uh, the launch uh, in November. In in early November, second week of November, Nintendo invited um, a bunch of journalists to Julius Castle, this this kind of like touristy restaurant mm-hmm. um, in the city. They were trying to theme their event, as you can tell, Castle, right? Right. What was uh, it called? Julius Castle. Julius. Castle. Yeah, and so they were. Uh, they had 15 demo stations set up. Mr. Miyamoto was in the room. His translator Minagawa. Yeah, we Minagawa have. Some, we have some, you provided we, us with we, some stills here that we'll roll. We have a picture well. from yeah. the event. And yeah. so first they made us do this really dumb, uh, like scavenger hunt through the streets of San Francisco. Did they make you wear that mock turtleneck as well? No, that's that was the style <laughs> of the day. Look at Casamasino with his. Uh, that's a drug rug. His, his giant. That's a drug rug. Yeah. <laughs> okay. that's what, that's what are you guys that. in a limousine? We are in a limo. That's right. So the, it was the. Uh, the boondoggle that you don't see nowadays anymore where they they just tried to put on a, a fun event all we were thinking of course the entire time was just let us play the game yeah. Yeah. right uh, and so you were supposed to find these people around san francisco is cold of course the city's mm-hmm. not that warm in the winter yeah. and like you'll see uh, some of the other photos uh, they had placed uh, npcs around the city not themed after the Legend of Zelda, but like a guy like looking like a wizard and like a Sir Lancelot or something. Just, yeah. fans, just bare fantasy themed. Very, very strange. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, man. Here we go. Anyway, some yeah, random like, w- wizard here. Yeah. So, of course, we hadn't played Ocarina of, of, of Time at the uh, at the time here. Um, so we didn't know if this was actually a character <laughs> sure. that we'd find in the game. But the answer is no. <laughs> and so we called him Mr. Waffles. Uh-huh. Um, so this whole thing ended up at Julius Castle. We got to sit down with 15. There were 15 demo stations. People from like, uh, you know, Game Informer and EGM and some some other uh, websites were there. There weren't that many websites <laughs> at the time. And we got to play this game for five hours. <gasps> All this Sir Lancelot. Yeah. I don't know. Looking understand. good. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, five hours, if you think of Ocarina of Time, if you've never played it, you can imagine people got stuck in all the different, all, all sorts of different places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd look over to the, the guy next to you playing, be like, hey, how'd you get the horse already? Right. Mm-hmm. And so kind of people were exchanging ideas. Mr. Miyamoto was walking around behind us, watching us play on the screen. It's like the most nerve-wracking oh. thing. And like, you'd go off in the wrong direction. He'd kind of like shake his head and go like, <laughs> you're yep. like, no, what, what am I doing? So that was my first Do you exposure to where you got to. Did you get to talk to, you know, Princess Zelda in the castle? Or? This is really well, yeah, cool. Like, here's, yeah. here's Miyamoto holding your magazine, which so I think is wild. We only made yeah. one magazine. This was when, uh, Imagine Media, our parent company, was thinking about creating an N64 magazine. It was just difficult to ma- make this work as a business because mm-hmm. there weren't that many games, right? And you need advertisements. So we did a one-off magazine. Just uh, this issue. Yeah, just this issue. Wow. Um, I, I could have brought this on. I have it at my desk. It's right here. And we have it right oh, here. Cool. But uh, I have it signed by Matt and Pear. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I have it signed by Mr. Miyamoto. Yeah, you do. A little better. Um, but we'll yeah, see. we played for five hours, and it was just, we were all smitten. Everybody just wanted to keep playing it. They didn't give us the game right there. Oh, man. But instead, it arrived um, three days before it was out. We got mm-hmm. our copy, gold copy, and then we just locked ourselves. Was it actually exciting and fun to play the oh, first God. time? Yes. Or were you, like, more stressed? I just everybody's hands were shaking yeah we were, we were so excited to play this game was and it would you play as adult link or child link or no, you started in the very beginning and so you basically got to, go to the, the point where you'd switch over to adult link i think uh i i think i got there a couple of people wow. some people just messed around hours, you think you got through mm-hmm. jabu jabu and everything yeah that's but yeah. but people were helping each other because jabu jabu got complicated yeah yeah that's yeah. a tough yeah. one well guys let's uh let's talk about the development of this game uh let's say go all the way back to uh, 1998, 1996, even when they were starting development here. So, um, first of all, it had been five years since A Link to the Past had come out, uh, but, or since A Link's Awakening had come out, right? And seven years since A Link to the Past. So, uh, people had been without a Legend of Zelda game for a very long time. So, as this game was in development and more and more news started coming out about it, obviously, like Pear was saying, the hype was absolutely through the roof. Um, but specifically, um, the first time that people got a chance to look at it was this tech demo that was showed off at Space World in 1995. Yeah, there's no um, video of that. Uh, actually, yeah. we have video of Space World 1995 demo right here. Um, so is this, this is this yeah. is like Adventure of uh, Link, Zelda 2 Link, fighting a shiny <laughs> metal knight. Obviously not really... Yeah, I've only seen screenshots of this. Yeah. Not really anything that... We can run that again, but not really yeah, anything really that... Cool. Uh, that um, Looks like Zelda yeah. uh, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of but time looks just so that much better. Yeah. Yeah. Th- the yeah. would have been really impressive. So that's that was wh- how everybody reacted to this. And by the way, I think during this time I was interning at the German version of Nintendo Power magazine. Oh. Uh, yeah, in Frankfurt. Okay, I wanted to make a German joke, but I won't. No, but, this- uh, but so this came out, and there was this tiny postage stamp yeah. video that everybody posted. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this dark nut was super impressive. Just the mm-hmm. the specular highlighting, like the shininess of it. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody was talking. And the about. sparks too. Yeah. yeah. And then the ray, the rays of the the light in the background. Those are all things that are showing, like, oh, the Nintendo sixty four has lots of power. But do you get? I mean, you see immediately why they would use the metal too. Metal Mario in Mario sixty four yeah. was also a like feat of graphical prowess. Yeah. It was like really impressive at the time. Yeah. And so that was like you know evidence. Well, it's funny because like, can you imagine? You have not played a Zelda since 1991, right? Since A Link to the Past comes out. And then this drops. And this yeah. is such a, an enormous leap forward from what that game was. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a cool thing to think about. Like, 
people that were around and, and plugged in at this time and could see this must have been just so absolutely out of their minds excited for this. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know who saw it, especially. Like, this is so it. unusual. Yeah, to see this, this, this was, uh, and this was at the tail end of, you know, po- polygonal games emerging in the arcade. So I think Daytona was already well, out. Tekken was Virtual but, Fighter. But, you, but yeah. you, couldn't, you couldn't imagine consoles being able to do this. Right. Yeah, everybody figured you need these powerful. giant hulking machines. What year yeah. was this? 95. Space World 95. Yeah, virtual racing and virtual fighting and stuff. We're like on 32X and stuff by then. Like just barely. Um, So what I did – sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like the team that started working on this was like really weird. And it was the the Mario 64 team, which is we call the R&D one now. Right. And then uh, they had um, some Zelda people involved. And like one of the people that was most involved at at this early state was the person that worked on Zelda 2. Yeah. And I was just like, I was just thinking today, like, what does this game have to do with Zelda 2? It's the combat. Yeah, like, so this, I have what we're that. Watching is like so Zelda two. I have that here. So Miyamoto has said that this game was originally heavily inspired by the sword and board stuff in Zelda two, right? The idea of blocking and parrying yeah. your enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that because that link in that in this Space World demo looks very much like the link from Zelda two, right? Like this is this is sort of his character design, right? Um, so one another thing that was really interesting about the development of this was that uh, this was not headed up by one particular director right like they divided this that. yeah chopped so it up. this is the first time in the nintendo history that they they developed uh this game across five different verticals right they had five different directors um and that's uh, uh one vertical was scenario and planning so that's basically story mm-hmm. and like story beats right um and then this one's really interesting links actions and 3d improvements from previous installments like that's literally the name of the division that that Miyamoto lines out in this GDC talk from '99, right? Yeah, and if you think and about like just making a character work in 3D, th- this like after Mario 64, this was like the biggest change in how that worked. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't games doing stuff like this. Yeah, so. and, and they ran out of buttons. That, too. that team specifically, totally that team specifically was uh, Miyamoto and uh, Yoshiaki Koizumi, mm-hmm. uh, who still did, went still on doing still doing Nintendo or still working for Nintendo. Recently directed Super Mario Odyssey yep. or produced Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, worked on Super Mario Galaxy, but he came onto this team specifically because of his work on Super Mario 64. Um, and then you also had teams for 3D camera, 3D items, and motion capture. Mm-hmm. I uh, remember reading that the Ocarina of Time engine was built off of Mario 64's engine, but it, it changed... Else yeah, oh, they it changed, changed everything. Yeah, it changed so drastically. Miyamoto said it might as well be a totally mm-hmm. different engine by the time they were done with it. Yeah, that's correct. Each one of these things, like the camera even, is so different from Mario yeah. 64, right? It was another thing yeah, that I, I read. He Miyamoto said that the camera in Zelda is built to focus on the world around you, while the camera in, in Mario 64 is built to focus more on Mario on the Mario. character. Right. Yeah. That's why you see such differing levels of control in those camera systems. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come back to that as well. Um, one thing that I did want to point out about the Space World demo before we're too far removed from it is that you know people got really upset when they showed off the realistic footage of Link fighting Ganondorf and then brought out the Wind Waker, mm-hmm. or when they showed that Wii U footage and then Skyward Sword was the Wii U release, right? Mm-hmm. Nintendo has a history of doing this exact thing yeah. with Zelda. Mm-hmm. Where they show a version of Zelda that is not anywhere near a final version or final design doc because they're just, they know that people are hungry to see that, right? Yep. And it's a good way to showcase what that system can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. When I went back and looked at the Space World demo, I was like, these guys have been doing this for years. What's yeah. so funny is like how bad this looks compared to what an Ocarina of Fight 
combat sequence would look like. Ocarina you know? of fight. Ocarina of time. <laughs> a combat se- sequence lo- would look like. It's, yeah. a, it's so simple and the character models are so kind of crummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I we're still excited. I mentioned Miyamoto's GDC talk, uh, and there's one one quote in particular. Now, I, I found this whole article on uh, IGN, and it's really interesting because he talks a lot about Zelda, but he talks a lot about just the the early years of the 64 mm-hmm. in general. But he says, we designed the entire game by organizing these small teams and conducting tests to confirm memory size and processing speed. Let us recall Hyrule Field, the outset field, or the outside field from The Legend of Zelda. The characters that appear in the field all share the same RAM. So the following scenario, we have the great bird, Gabola, we have the skeleton, enemies, and then once the bird has left the field, the marathon man appears. When Link rides the horse as an adult, the only enemy to appear is the ghost. So the scenario is written to match these types of design specifications. Right. So he's talking about like the way that the RAM is parsed out across the fields as you're triggering different events. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're he's continually writing if then segments that that say like if you're on the horse, then only this enemy. Mm-hmm. appears. If you've already seen this, then this thing appears like it's really, really smart design. And that's something that didn't exist before. And you can see the conservation that's required in this game because mm-hmm. it has a past and present. Or past and future. I don't yeah. know which one it is. Um, but that means that, like, you have to use the same spaces over and over again and change them up. And and if you think about it now, they did conserve a lot by making the spaces empty when you come back as an adult. Like, that is probably more space-saving than anything else. Like, yep. it's pretty lucky that there is an apocalyptic event because you don't get to talk to any villagers in the future. Right. And your hometown is completely empty. Right. And uh, Hyrule Field has ghosts now. Mm-hmm. They, they had this, I mean, this, this economy basically knowing what they had to work with and then building the game design around it and the graphics uh, around it you, you can see when you play this game nowadays we have these open world games and you've got you know complex geometry rendered even at a distance i mean look at something like red dead or assassin's, assassin's creed Odyssey. then you go back to ocarina mm-hmm. of time you realize what they had to do in order to get even death mountain to show in the see distance right there. it's like it's a flat mm-hmm. you know it's a flat texture you get closer they do a different version of it you get you uh, you you climb the hill you get another version of it and they place curves and corners in such smart ways that that you never you can never break the world it exists without them having to render everything mm-hmm. it's just it's so awesome well they, think about think so about what brilliant. a team like the guys and, and gals behind God of War this generation learned from the Legend of Zelda in terms of like you're riding that boat mm-hmm. and you're doing all these switchbacks in the water to let that next area load. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about, like in a primitive state 20 years ago, yeah. right? I think it's really interesting. But, by the way, I love who transcribed, the person who transcribed this uh, GDC talk, official person, uh, Gebola for the, do- uh, for the bird. Yeah, yes. I said that, yeah. and I realized, yeah. Kapoor Gabora. Yeah, yeah, Kapoor exactly. Gabora, yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing, another thing that they talked about in this uh, GDC address was that how much Epona changed the game. Um, so Epona was not part of the <laughs> this is a really great clip where he runs right into the wall uh <laughs> opponent was not part of the original design documents and they wanted to have a way to get link around a little faster so they they created the, you know they came up with the idea of like well what if he rides a horse but they realized that the traversal was so fun and so fast that they had to build the game exponentially bigger to allow yeah i've heard that from several sources yeah that, to allow making the horse was actually the biggest influence on whether they made an open area. Mm-hmm. And it's not really an open world, but they made open areas to accommodate the horse because that was so impressive. That's a very Miyamoto thing. Miyamoto, uh, Mr. Miyamoto wanted to put in uh, Yoshi in Mario 3, but was unable to. Or no, actually, going back to Mario 1, he always wanted Mario to run to ride a dinosaur, mm-hmm. but it was just like, you know, physically limited. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. So, like, getting that in Mario World was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then, like, 
clearly riding the horse, just like riding the dinosaur in Mario. It was just like a, a big fun thing that he wanted to get into. But it's so cool, too. When you first traverse that world, it seems just ridiculously big, right? Mm-hmm. It is It is a little empty. There's not that much to do. You see some of the, like, a like the pea hat enemies like flying around me and stuff. When I was a kid. Yeah. But, but it's like but but there's not a ton there. Yeah. And then you think about like, oh, do I have to run back and forth every time I come back? And then you get the horse and the world just kind of shrinks. It's mm-hmm. it's so cool. Well it's it's wild too to think about, you know, when I was first playing this game uh in ninety well, I guess not until two thousand, but even then it felt so much bigger than any other game yep. world that I had experienced. Like the the idea that Hyrule Field stretched across, you know, this certain diameter, and there was all these different areas that branched off of it. Like you said, it's not an open world game, but it's as close to an open world game as we could have possibly imagined then, mm-hmm. and it felt enormous. I mean, to go back to it now, it's almost kind of silly, like how how truncated it feels, how small it feels. But like there were bad open world games out then, and there were good ones. Elder Scrolls was already out by then, yeah, and that true. was an example of an open world game. But this is like a game that made that it didn't need to be an open world. Like every, I know Hyrule Field seems a little empty, but like it, everything that you can do on the sides of the the world is like so. Uh, built out and interesting, full of secrets and like, mm-hmm. cool things to discover. Mm-hmm. I just think they really made the world. So yes, there's one horse area in the center of Hyrule Field. But if you go into Kakariko Village, you go to the mountains, you go to the desert. Like every little corner of that map has something cool to do in it. Mm-hmm. It's like great little playgrounds everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so another source for for a lot of this research was uh, the Iwata asks uh, articles from around Those the time so that good. Mm-hmm. well around the time that Ocarina of Time 3D came out uh, he did a series of these Iwata asks f- around Ocarina and they talked a lot about different Zelda iterations um, but a few things that I thought were very interesting were some of the ideas that were scrapped from Ocarina of Time so I wanted to bounce these off of you and get your your impression so originally. Miyamoto was a little concerned that uh, the Nintendo 64 couldn't handle big outdoor areas. Hmm. So his initial design was the idea, the same idea as Super Mario 64. Link would be, the entire adventure would be take place in Ganon's castle, and Link would jump in and out of paintings, (laughs) and that's how he would navigate that world and how he would access different dungeons and things like that. And that's why we have the Phantom Ganon boss. Hmm. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was like... Yeah, it's exactly the same. So place. that idea carried over from the mm. the very first concept of of Ocarina of Time. Do you think the Forest Temple is a prototype of that castle, and they just made it, it could into be. a can, well, could Can you be. guys think of another situation that's like Mario in that with the the paintings? Mm. If you go to the, uh, Princess Zelda's castle, mm-hmm. you're in Hyrule Castle, and you look through. Uh, this one window, you mm-hmm. can see a painting of Mario, Bowser. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. they, they totally Easter egged that. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another idea that was didn't make the final cut, uh, part of the game could have been on rails. So I wonder what which parts of the games there is a part of the game on rails, which is the um, the ship in the spirit, uh, not spirit temple. Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Which yeah. is yeah. the spirit one temple. that's not the spirit temple? Yeah, uh, that's the one in the desert. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, shadow yeah. temple. Shadow it's temple. Shadow. Yeah. yeah, under the well. Yeah, like on that, yeah. and it does that like elevator type scene where it's like mm-hmm. things jump in your boat and you yes. have to fight them. But yeah. yeah, there's barely anything on rails. And also, I I read remember from that same thing could have been first person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When there's still like first person yeah. slingshots and I, stuff, but like man, that would have I think just not worked. Yeah. No, I feel like they not. would have had horse stuff on rails just like they had in like maybe crossbow training or something where mm. you get to yeah. shoot stuff with bow and that arrow. As actually yeah. in the Gerudo Desert uh the challenge area, your horse I think rides on rails while you shoot the You you can control it. Yeah. Oh, you can yeah, yeah, control you, it. You can go back okay. and forth. That's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of playing this whole game in first person is uh 
uh, wildly uncomfortable to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think, that, like, A, I don't think that the Nintendo 64 is powerful enough to, like, have an entire game in first person, like, mm-hmm. this early. We, I guess we got Goldeneye. So maybe See, but, I'm wrong. But I then, but you pre- you conserve. You don't have to render the character in that case. Mm-hmm. So it might actually be a little easier to do. You know, you wouldn't get to see hunky yeah. adult Link. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and he was he was a Stone Cold Fox. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of not being able to see um, adult Link, here's the opposite. One of the ideas uh, originally this game was designed with adult Link in mind only, and. Uh, one of the things that, that's sort of notorious about Miyamoto is that he loves to change stuff in the 11th hour. Um, and he asked the designers, well, what if we played this from a child's perspective? Mm-hmm. Like, what if instead of this hunky adult Link, mm-hmm. we got, like, a child version instead? And so they kind of rescoped everything, made a child version of Link, sent him out into the world, and Miyamoto liked it so much, he was like, okay, well, we'll start the game here. You'll start as a child, but then you'll also play as the adult yep. version of Link. And like that, that was not planned from the start. Like, no. how weird is it to think like this whole game is about time travel? It's well, about this like it's yeah. really like well done that way too. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, but let's just put it together. But like, we have it. a Link to the Past had the uh, the dark and the light world stuff, which this game echoes. Obviously, uh, like it could have been close together. Like you could have just traveled between two dimensions. So I got to think they had the idea of having two different worlds. Two mm-hmm. different timelines, but not actually have you grow up uh, and old. But like it becomes a limiting factor. Like you can't ride Epona when you're a kid right. and all of that, right? Until Majora's Mask. And yeah. it's also, um, I guess, an example of one of the reasons why they didn't want to make cutscenes from scratch. They just wanted to generate it from the in game mm-hmm. assets because then Miyamoto would be like, actually, I want to change this. And then. You have to start all over again. Right. It's it's. I mean, these are these are some some cool things that got scrapped. There were, you know, at the time we were getting um, screenshots of this game before it was out, and one screenshot and even some footage uh, showed um, Link with the Triforce. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that? So I don't. There was but... a shot from Ocarina of Time where he actually gets the Triforce, which isn't in the final game, and it sparked just years of conspiracies that it was in that. there and you could get it and all of that. There's all these the, fake fake things about getting the triforce. The, there's also a shot of Link in the Lost Woods with like polygonal trees. It looks kind of janky and a Poe holding a lantern. Mm-hmm. So there were like these areas that they kicked around that just didn't you make know, it You know, the triforce is not in it, but the R-Wing is in it. The R-Wing is in it. That's true. Yeah, yeah Sam Yesterday. Spent, Sam spent a, a Are you good gonna unlock chunk it here? of his day. I uh, know. I, I don't have the Game Shark in here, but I did, I, I did figure out how to unlock... Uh, with, with people's help on the internet, uh, uh, the R wing and the Kokiri Forest, and it's incredible. So I'll, why is I'll the R wing in video, there? A video about it. That was a neat part of de- development. So uh, Z targeting, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, was yeah. one of the most unique things that this game had. Like, how mm-hmm. do you lock onto an enemy and make it, mm-hmm. you know, at least able to be hit mm-hmm. by you in a 3D world with no other stick to control your camera? So they made Z targeting, and you could lock on. And to test that, they put in a little R wing to fly around, mm-hmm. so you could. Target it and shoot it with your slingshot and bow and arrow, or maybe bow and arrow. I've never played as adult Link there, but you can definitely hit it with your boomerang, and you can take it down, and it goes down out of the air and it crashes. It's like it, fully animated. With flames, and like it shoots explosions. at you, and shoots takes lasers off, at you. Uh, yeah, hearts. That that is still in the game code with the game shark. You can unlock it. I'll write up little instructions for you to all try it out. You can also try it out if you have an action replay with the Master Quest version. Can you believe the they left well it in the GameCube. Yeah. It's really funny too it's because cool. like when you when you come out of your hut like it just responds if you go into it like yeah. into your house or, or come out of it and when you come out you get a little cutscene of the arming like taking off over the the, the village it's <laughs> really funny and Star Fox sixty four had come out by then so yeah there was it come the out it come out the early year yeah and I had people earlier. yesterday just come by uh, our desk and they were all playing it like in a little line to like play that that little cutscene it was a really magical moment it's really amazing it's when Sam booted up uh, Ocarina of Time yesterday and the 
menu music started playing, so many people around the office just congregated around <laughs> like the TV. A yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, this one, this music. It's so loud. Yeah. Well, you heard, probably heard it. Was it was. So chi- this was such a different title screen from any other game on the market. It was all chill and yeah. calm and everything else was like rah, rah, Resident Evil and 2. Then, and you then know? you get that one glimpse of the of Twin Rova in the Spirit Temple. Like the oh, there's total spoilers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I was, it's funny because like Sam asked that we set up this TV and just kind of have the, the title screen on loop here while we're talking about it. And it dawned on me as we're sitting here that... I don't think I ever just let it play. Oh, I think I I, I did after yeah. su- after Super Metroid, which gives you hints. Yeah, you and I'm like so Nintendo surprised at how much of the like late game they show in the mm-hmm. title screen stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty wild. So you mentioned um, Link to the Past a minute ago, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I think is really interesting about Ocarina is that it takes um, it takes a lot of the ideas and a lot of the themes from from Link to the Past and fleshes them out. It adds you know more um, more thoughtful story uh it does the same like duality like light world dark world thing in the the form of like um the present and the future i guess Mm -hmm. right um do you feel that it's kind of the same treatment as uh the original legend of zelda to a link to the past or metroid to super metroid because like nintendo has this like early history of kind of redesigning remaking their games until they got it right and then moving forward from ocarina of time you get this like sort of remake of Link to the Past, and then every game, every Zelda game after that, it's locked is in, very much based on Ocarina, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Zel- I mean, Zelda Two is really the fluke in that whole system. Yeah. Like a lot of games have. Uh, and, and even before Ocarina of Time and Link to the Past, you had, you, you had games like Final Fantasy where the world transforms significantly when there's like a, the apocalypse happens. And so that we have seen that theme in a lot of Japanese games. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was kind of expected. Um, Did you think but, it was too much like Link to the Past, though? No. Is that is a criticism of so, this game? So in, in hindsight, you can see it. But when you play it, that step to 3D is so significant. It mm-hmm. feels so different. It was just like when you played Super Mario 64. Um, Super Super Mario World before it and, and um, you know, Yoshi, it was all about precision jumping, like jumping right at the edge right. and, like, running fast and all that. You can't do the same thing in Mario 64. And so they designed the puzzles and everything very differently in that game and the way you do acrobatics and, like, backflips. And Ocarina of Time was the same way. They took some concepts, like you don't really use your jump button in Link to the Past. Right. You know, there's no, there's no feather or anything in that one. And, uh, so they did the same thing here. But because you're in 3D, I felt like everything changed. It feels so different. It's, you know, thinking back, that was a huge criticism back then. It's like, oh, yep. you can't jump on that game. Oh, yeah. I don't People are pissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. of Zelda 2. Yeah. It's not even a, a thought in my mind anymore now. I just yeah. Occasionally, some of it. the automated jump stuff does get a little bit. It does. Yeah. It, it would have been nice to be able to jump, but they probably also thought it would break the game in certain areas. Yeah. You well, know? You, I mean, so Mario is a different game, right? And mm-hmm. like that's about your character and, and acrobatics and moving around. But this is more like a game like Tomb Raider. And boy, did Tomb Raider fail at that one thing because it gave you a jump button <laughs> and it gave you tank controls and like the precision to move around 3D space. And you can see why that doesn't work. And so, you I mean, premeditate your jump in Tomb Raider always, you know? Always. Yeah. yeah. And you have, you just, it's like Prince of Persia or something. Yeah. So you have, to, this game is like just really, really conscious of not letting people screw up their 3D space, but yeah. letting them explore it still. Mm-hmm. And even though, you, and, and what's weird is that the levels are so vertical. Like Death Mountains, like temples, like you just go down, 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 or just the Deku tree and, in the very beginning. Right. And and there there's like there the components of the levels that are vertical too, right? Mm-hmm. Like solving the center 
central core of the fire temple. Yeah. Um, like the the stairwells in the uh, in the forest temple and like how you twist rooms and stuff. Oh my gosh, All of yeah. that stuff you couldn't do in 2D, and that's why I felt like this game didn't feel like Link to the Past when you played mm-hmm. it, even though it had a light and a, a dark lot of the world. same. Yeah. yeah. But you really feel a 3D world, and that you got around it. And you didn't need a jump button. Like mm-hmm. that's like kind of mind blowing when yeah. you think back on it. Because like n- every game had a jump button. That's how you explored. You mm-hmm. jumped. Yeah. So we we've kind of lost the the thread here. We we kind of jumped around to all, a bunch of other stuff. We were talking specifically about the development, but that takes us right up to the release of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about. Uh, I have the date written down. Uh, November twenty first, nineteen ninety eight. So. Uh, prior to the Nintendo, prior to the launch of, the, uh, of this game, Nintendo sixty four was desperate for first party support. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people had um, kind of talked about Zelda in a way of like, okay, this game needs to be a hit. It needs to be like a tremendous success um, in order for the Nintendo sixty four to survive. Um, Star Fox, you know, Sam, you just pointed this out. Uh, Star Fox and Mario had come out before. There was a couple other first party games that had come out and been successful. And this had been but, a year delay. Like yeah. it was supposed to be out the year before. Right. So the, the holiday '98 season mm-hmm. like needed Zelda so bad for Nintendo did, um, and so that resulted in basically like a full on media blitz. Right. Yeah. Um, commercials were run inside theaters, which was sort of unprecedented at the time. Here you can actually see this is the um, 3DS version of the original TV spot, which I thought was really clever. They, they redid. They redid the original TV spot with the 3DS graphics, mm-hmm. but for all intents and purposes, this is basically the TV spot that ran uh, in theaters. With the Conan score. With the, the Conan music from score. Conan. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it showed up on the cover of IGN 64. It yeah. showed up on the cover of, uh, obviously, Nintendo Power. Uh, Next Gen uh, is here. We should show that off, EGM. too. But EGM. Yeah, obviously, uh, full-on media blitz. And the result was uh, 500,000 pre-orders replaced to the extent that that Outlets uh, or stores had to stop pre-orders. They said, yep. okay, we can't do any more pre-orders because we don't know that we can fulfill all and of these orders. Of course, the pre-order version was the gold version. Yeah. Right. And that's that number is more than triple the pre-orders for any other previous game ever. No no other pre-orders had ever topped that much. Uh, it wound up uh, 2.5 million copies sold in 1998. And keep in mind, this game came out in November. So that means that in 39 days from release to the end of the year, it sold... Two and a half million copies, which is absolutely crazy. How do you think Call of Duty did that year? <laughs> $150 million uh, made in less than 40 days. Um, Sam, you wanted to talk a little bit about the actual release versions, but before you jump into that, I did want to read this thing. So um, this is another IGN article. Peter Main, uh, the uh, EVP of Nintendo at the time, he said this three weeks prior to launch, and it's like almost prophetic to me the way that, that this reads. He says, Zelda's popularity will be based on its ability to morph the definition of a traditional role-playing game into something entirely different. By combining an engrossing RPG storyline with unprecedented Lol. real-time 3D graphics and a huge dose of adventure, it represents an experience with immense appeal to game players of all ages and all skill levels. In short, we expect The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time to reinvent this generation of hardware much the same way that Donkey Kong Country did uh, six years ago. Ago. It or is four years. Uh, I'm sorry. Donkey Kong Country did for 16-bit games <clears throat> four years ago. It is prophetic. Yeah. But you'll also notice a theme there. He brought up RPG a couple of times. Yeah. This so was silly. this was on purpose. First of all, Ocarina of Time is an action adventure, mm-hmm. right? It's not a, what we consider to be a role-playing game. The genres have kind of blended nowadays, yeah. and it's difficult to tell them apart. But it was very clear that this wasn't a stats-based game and about like you know developing your character, unlike Zelda 2, which is the only RPG in the series. But what Nintendo didn't have on the N64 was the biggest genre in Japan. And the month before Ocarina of Time came out... What's up? You don't like Plus 64? No. 
<laughs> Neither did Japan. They had lost Square Enix support. Mm -hmm. Atlas was barely there. They had lost, uh, I mean, Square and Enix, two different companies mm -hmm. at the time. So Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest were gone. And so they played up the RPG-ness of this game so much. And the month before o Ocarina of Time came out, uh, in Japan, they were discounting the N64. It actually hit $100. In yen. So that was re a really low price because they wanted to move units and they were banking on this game. So they even brought down the price. Hmm. But uh, obviously, it did well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it went on to become a tremendous success. It's, uh, to, this, to date, it's the number four best-selling yep. uh, game, not of all time, but on the Nintendo 64. But the Nintendo 64 is still trailed the PS. Yeah, for sure. Like the yeah. PlayStation just, just really took That was off. a big deal because here... The, Sony was a newcomer, mm -hmm. and Nintendo had ruled the market, certainly in Japan with the Super NES. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about these three release versions yeah, that so you brought on. Yeah, so as of like two weeks ago, I've tracked down the three versions of Zelda that exist out there, and they're shorthand known, to, known as the version 1.0, 1.1, 1 1.2. And uh, you can tell, and uh, this is for collectors only out there, if you pick up a copy of Zelda and you get the cartridge, if you look at the back of it, and you won't be able to see this unless you really zoom in, there's a little number right here, and it's embossed. It's actually pressed into the sticker. And on this one, it says 19. So there's a number, and then there's, uh, for the other versions, letters. So if you have a, a copy that just has a number, whether it's gray or gold, there were gray copies, I think, with the number. I'm pretty yep. sure. Uh, that means that it's version 1.0. And that has uh, all of the best glitches in it. So all the <laughs> things that speedrunners really like, the way to like break this game the best and, and stuff like that, that's all in that version. Uh, the Fire then, Temple chant? Is it that's there? all in there. And, and so yeah, there's a couple um, things they took out that might have caused a controversy eventually. But it's important to point out they weren't controversial. Like Nobody brought this up and said we should take this stuff out. And that is uh, that there's a chant in the Fire Temple that's from a, a sample CD that was out at the time. It was, they were allowed to use the sample. But it had... Uh, uh, it's Allah is great. It's a religious chant. Yeah, Muslim chant. And it's it's kind of processed and weird, and it sounds like uh, you know, like this echoey mm -hmm. yeah. chamber of voices. You can barely hear what it, what it's saying, and if you know what it is, you can identify it. Though, so they took that out for subsequent versions, and um, and, they, and I, as I said, there's a lot of bug fixes, and but that wasn't quite out yet. So then they put out 1.1, and 1.1 they did, uh, which, which that's all the bug fixes. But 1.2, that one is the one where they had all those things taken out. And mm. they had that taken out, and then they had uh, Ganon's blood Ganon's changed blood, to yeah. green. That's right. Yeah. I remember and then that. Some people will tell you they changed Link's shield, which actually has a, a crescent moon on it, but that wasn't until the Ocarina of Time 3D version. Okay. So there are three versions, and the way you can tell is that the first one has a number on it, the second one has a number and the letter A, mm -hmm. and the third one has a number and the letter B. And so if you find those three versions, they are you know pretty fun to play with and different. And the game shark codes for each one is, are different as well. So I got another one for you. So the the one the box in front of you is the Japanese release. And Such the a pretty Japanese box. version had a, a, a really cool cover, that cool. silver cover. Yeah. So what if you put this Japanese version into a Japanese N64 and you put the 64DD underneath and you boot it up, it'll say, please insert the Zelda 64DD. So they included So this the had the hooks for the, the game that never came out, which, mm -hmm. well, it came out as Master Quest, but right. there was supposed to be a 64DD version of Ocarina of Time to add on and remix the quest. Mm -hmm. And so this game still has the hooks in it when you plug it in. There yeah. are a bunch of rumors saying that Master Quest wasn't what, I, th I think it's called like U Uda? Uda Zelda yeah, is. Uda Zelda. Yes. Yeah, that Master Quest isn't really what Uda Zelda was yeah. supposed to be. It was just the bare minimum that they they took to make Master Quest. That's so, right. so that... That's not what I heard when, oh. I, when you know. They're I, super, they're very rumory. 
Yeah, so I I remember uh, speaking with Nintendo about this Uda Zelda, and we were we were obsessing over this. Mm-hmm. And they they kept on whenever they spoke in English, they called it another Zelda, mm-hmm. and then when they spoke in Japanese, they called it Uda Zelda, which is Uda is a Japanese word for you know other and like mm-hmm. kind of like Uda Waza is like these these secret little things in in video games. And they said they wanted to create something with the 64DD where first of all, if you dropped something, it would stay where you put it. And oh. so, you know, because the 64DD had a writable disc, you'd be able to have a more persistent world. And that's where the original Ocarina of Time came from. It was supposed to be a disc game, too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was supposed to have these persistent things. But they specifically talked about remixing the items and the locations in every dungeon, which is exactly what Master yeah. Quest is. Right. So, I, but, but the first thing you said is not in Master no. Quest. That, I mean, I think that's interesting yeah. that they wanted to play with the 64DD uh, like hardware, yeah. and that's not what we got. We just got like a shuffle dungeon game, yeah. which I love. But there's also mm-hmm. cows. And more there's cows. Ca- there's yeah. cows. Jabba Jabba. Jabba way more cool. <laughs> cows, yeah. uh, okay, let's take some time to talk about the actual game itself. We've yeah. talked about development. We've talked about the release. Um, oh, I, I should also mention that, uh, that upon its release, obviously, it got perfect scores from uh, so so many outlets. Let's see. I wrote it down here somewhere. Everybody. Um, yeah, it was uh, Famitsu, Edge, IGN, GameSpot, EGM. Like all these outlets gave it perfect scores, and mm-hmm. it's still the highest rated meta game, uh, highest rated game on Metacritic. How did a PlayStation Magazine like it? PlayStation Magazine gave it a zero out of ten. Did <laughs> yeah. not appear on PlayStation, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. So, Sam, you brought up Z targeting, which <laughs> to me, this is absolutely insane to me that this didn't exist. Like, the, this is the one thing that mm-hmm. this game does. That to this day, you can find this in every single game. Like, this is the legacy of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time to me. Like, And you need it for this boss. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm talking about any game that you play, any action game that you play today. Um, Dark Souls, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, Red Dead. Like, well, maybe not Red Dead, but... Any of these games have this exact concept, and it did not exist before Ocarina of Time. Can't understate the importance of Z-targeting. It, it was a very simple version. It was Mega Man Legends, which was was released before this, I think, but, but was, was the bad. same but, year. But was shown after Ocarina of Time was shown first, and right. the, the Z-targeting. Mm-hmm. It has a you you stop in place when targeting. Right. No, this was really like I I looked this up uh, back then too to see are there any games that did this and nothing did it. Mm-hmm. Nothing did it. And then every game did it afterwards. Sometimes automatically when you get close to an enemy, you always circle strafe about, around them like basically replicating what a fighting game would feel like, right. a virtua fighter or something all the time. Did you guys change the the type of it? One of it is just I think you just tap you it just and tap it, it, it the pro mode yeah. you hold it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the other you can hold. Yes. Yeah, I which, always held. I can't remember which one I I yeah, love I always held. Yeah. yeah. It's nice because you can unsnap not. and run away. Right? Yeah. So one really cool thing about Z-targeting, and this goes back to Mario 64, is that in Mario 64, in order to explain the camera to you, Nintendo created a character. Yeah, yeah. right. They got the lucky two floating behind you with a camera. And so they basically say, oh, what you're seeing is actually the camera broadcast from this character. They did the same thing here. Navi is your lock-on. Mm-hmm. And so Navi will show you things that you can lock on by flying into the space. And when you don't have Navi, you can't lock on right. things. So it's it's really clever. Hey, mm-hmm. listen. Um, <laughs> classic Zelda setup carried over from uh, uh, Link to the Past, and that's three dungeons to begin with that open up into uh, several more dungeons, right? So you start off, Child Link has to tackle the Deku Tree. He's got to tackle Lord Dodongo's uh, cavern. 
and he's got to tackle uh, Jabu Jabu. Which, Ooh. by the yeah. way, <laughs> everybody talks about how the Water Temple is the worst. It's uh, not the worst uh, dungeon. It's not. It's tricky and it's cumbersome. Jabu Jabu is the worst one. What about that mini ice dungeon? Like, that one sucks. I like that one. Where you have to, the blocks yeah. get too you much. like that one? Yeah, where you're like slipping the and sliding. The ice dungeon's always annoying. I, I actually really like the ice cavern. Yeah. yeah, I like the I ice like wolves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, white wolf clothes. Yeah, that sound is great. Yeah. 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 Um, and then after that, obviously it opens up into uh, the forest, fire, water, shadow, spirit dungeon. Um, and then and I, I say Ganon's Castle is a dungeon. Yeah, there's many dungeons as well. I like to classify Ganon's Castle as a dungeon. Some people yeah. say that that's not the case. Yeah, there's Bottom actually, of the Well. What yeah. else is there? There's a couple Bottom of Bottom of the Well is really crazy. Ones, that was but. cool when you walked in and all that crap flies out of the well. Yeah. Like the, the black like stuff. And it does like a first-person camera thing. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool cutscene, and that was one of those unexpected events. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a major thing to happen where you thought you knew this place, you went in and out so many mm-hmm. times, and then suddenly something changed, mm-hmm. which is... Yeah. That happens in so many games nowadays, but it's just like that didn't exist back then. So right. not having played Link to the Past, that twist of n- of having more game after the first three was like my most memorable experience of that game. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't believe how big the game was because they teased me with the first three. But yeah. everybody else had already experienced that with Link to the Past. And I had too, but I completely forgot like that yeah. was the structure. Somehow I had managed to avoid knowing too much about uh, Ocarina of Time. And going into the, the Temple of Time pulling out that sword and then there's that cutscene where it like cuts to link as an adult seven years down the road is like what's happening like, this is totally unexpected to me like i didn't know that this was going to be the case and so i think that 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 was really impactful for me that moment where it's like oh this is a whole new rule set that i i you know i get to play the second half of the game well yeah. more than second half of the game with but um i did want to talk about a little bit about what everybody's favorite dungeon is oh. and what everybody's favorite boss is. easy hmm. yeah so go ahead forest temple Forest Temple is is so good. First of all, how you get into it is a puzzle. I got I got so stuck on the Forest (laughs) Temple because one of the keys is in a chest outside the temple. Which is so annoying so, because you can make it so far. It's the it's just the it's the uh, entrance. It's the spill room. Yeah, mm-hmm. the spill room. It's so it's like far a, a to the foyer, house. if you yeah. will. Yeah. Think, no, there's think a couple about of them how, like that, like under the t- tunnel. But go ahead. Think about how this dungeon communicates, like it, the challenge. Like you walk in, and it's basically like the beginning of Pac-Man. You have like four ghosts like disappearing That's true. into That's all neat. the corners of the dungeon, and so your mission is very clear: is to find all four, and then you start exploring. You try you're trying to figure out how to get through this, but it has the coolest puzzles. It has the twist. Room where you shoot the uh, the you, which you, looks like like a cool Hitchcock effect yeah or and like right? and, and Peter I'm, Jackson kind of took that yeah. in Lord of the Rings later then it has a, a, a rooms that you turn on its side it has an outdoors area with it water actually has a ceiling that mashes you yeah, yeah. in the base the babas the that room was scary and then it had this really kind of creepy music and atmosphere i just think yeah. it's still one what of are my those favorite guys dungeons. called room masters or something? Uh, oh, the, the floor masters the floor well there's floor masters and there's also their ceiling masters right oh that's the ones that drop and grab yeah. you mm-hmm. but that wasn't in that's not take you out of the dang temple it sucks yeah it has everything and one of them's a mini boss and when you hit it it like Breaks up into a bunch of little, little hands. hands. Yeah. God, that was like yeah. that. If you have that fire spell by that point, that's yeah. so satisfying. Just be like, bah! And Sam, then, what's your favorite dungeon? 
Well, no, and then the, the, the just the the pose were so cool. Oh, and like, you and know. you like the boss fight, yeah, there too. And you get the bow and arrow there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, my favorite is the Spirit Temple, and for the same reason yeah. I already mentioned that. Really uh, so I love how the game expands in the way mm-hmm. it does. But there's a second expansion for me, at least, in that you have been to all the areas, and then you go to all of them as an adult. You go back to Lake Hylia, it's drained. You know, you go back to the graveyard and it has a dungeon in it. Mm-hmm. But this is a new area that you haven't seen. And there's an area before that. You go to the Gerudo Temple uh, village, mm-hmm. yeah, the fortress, and you, you save those uh, poor trapped uh, carpenters. <laughs> and then you cross a desert and then it opens up and there's mm-hmm. like an oasis with like a giant colossus. Coolest part of the game. It yeah. looks so good. Just the Colossus mm-hmm. there. Well, yeah, it's that, but it's past and yeah. future. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like dungeon. it's the only dungeon that really utilizes that time swapping mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's the last dungeon, and you have to go back and forth and solve it as an adult and as a kid, which like works thematically, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. But also, I I remember even the first time I played it, I was like, I wish they would have done this more in the other dungeons. Like, mm-hmm. a, like it made you switch back and forth between the two eras. Um, that because made it so unique. That made it so yeah. cool and special. And it, uh, it was wonderful. It also has my favorite boss. Twin Rove is my favorite boss. But yeah. Casey, tell us okay. about your favorite. Um, again, my forest, the Forest Temple is also my favorite huh. dungeon in that game. Uh, I also, as I mentned before, really I didn't like, know there's so much love for the Forest Temple out it, there. It's so good. It just has really interesting mechanics, and the puzzles in it are so varied and unique and mm-hmm. interesting. Even even that last room before you get to the boss temple is a mini puzzle in itself. Mm-hmm. Where you have to rotate the room and find all these different treasures. And yeah. one of... To find the last ghost or to get it out, rather, you have to do a sliding block puzzle to make a picture. Like there's right. just yeah. so many. And you had to you had to shoot the ghost in the painting too, and yeah. go up and down the stairs. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, there were so many cool, interesting things in the temple, and it just makes it memorable. And even the music today is still super memorable music. Like I've used it for like Halloween. Those like weird events. background screeches. Yeah. Yeah. And videos when getting there is fun because spooky. it's like one of the earliest places in the game, and yeah. you go through the little maze, mm-hmm. and then there's like the the giant guy, the yeah. teacher, right? It's like bam, yeah, bam. Right. Uh, Moblin. Is that, no wait, is that in the past? Are? I think that's in the past actually. Yeah, that's. Um, but then then Saria is back. She's like the only person left from the original village, which mm-hmm. I thought was like really cool when I mm-hmm. first played yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You talk to her, and you're like, I've been here before, though. Mm-hmm. Now there's a dungeon right there. I yeah. love that feeling. Same with the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, Pear, you wanted specifically to shout out to uh, Phantom Ganon as your boss fight, your choice for oh my favorite boss, boss yeah. yeah, yeah, and like Twin Rova mechanically <laughs> is the coolest just because of the the elemental uh, yeah. stuff in it. It's so cool, but this was just visually such a cool sequence that you see a boss in the room, and then first of all, it's like it's not him; it was a bait and switch, right? right. It's a Phantom mm-hmm. Ghost version, and that he rides into the paintings, and you have to kind of pay attention to your environment yeah. in order to figure out where he's coming from. It's just visually use that so Z cool. button, choo, choo, yeah. choo, to turn around really fast. And so you have that. to, yeah, you yeah. There you go. Like, he's doing it. <laughs> you have to like look, look at that. where ha. he's coming out from, and then shoot him with an arrow. Oh yeah. no, that wasn't Trying him. To track oh, him down. Man. There you yeah, go. Yeah, it was a little unwieldy, but it's so yeah. so cool. I died on that boss. I remember yeah. how hard it was the first time, not 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 being able to figure it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was the first time, uh, <laughs> the first enemy in the game that I died a lot on. And like going back to it now, it's crazy like how easy it is to get mm-hmm. past the, any of these bosses. But this one, I specifically remember having to fight multiple multiple and, times. And while so many video games of this age were like trying to go to 3D, but not quite, didn't quite make it. Like think of Crash Bandicoot. Mm-hmm. It's polygonal, but it's all just it's like 
every platformer before, it's just not as good. Um, <laughs> in this game, they said, this game is in 3D, so there's a guy floating around the room, and you're going to uh-huh. hit back the beam at him, and you're going to lock on, you have to find him. Like, all these elements. That should not work as well as it works. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's, it's wild, too, because like, <laughs> you fight this boss so early on in the game, and then hours later, this mechanic is how you defeat the final yep. boss. Like, and this you, is the one thing that Nintendo you how to does. Figure this out too. No, I think Navi's they, telling and then you they, maybe. they bring this back too. Have they had yeah. they ever done this before in a previous? Zelda Unfortunately, game? if I had played Link to the Past, I, I would have known yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's like the, the final boss. You do that exact thing, in it. and again, like that's now can be mechanic. considered a criticism of this game. But I'm glad it was a surprise for me, and it should be a surprise for everybody mm-hmm. that played it at the time. But it wasn't. Uh, you just mentioned uh, Twin Rova in the Spirit so Temple, good. which is m- my favorite boss. The music, uh, too. Yeah, the music is amazing. Uh, the The battle itself, I think, is so, so clever just in that— For people who don't know what right, that is. So that's, it's, you, basically, it's twin sisters that are flying around attacking you at the same time. And so one sister is an ice elemental, one sister is a fire elemental, mm-hmm. and they shoot their, their like ice and fire beams at you. And at this point in the game, you have the mirror shield. So what you have to do is bounce the elemental, like the ice elemental, onto the fire boss and vice versa, right? So mm-hmm. you can only damage the bosses with the other boss's weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's such a clever twist on the way that every dungeon works in that usually you're getting weapons throughout the course of the dungeon that, that allow you to take out the boss. But here you have to turn the boss's weapons against them. And I think it's so, so smart and so fun. And like, I wish that the 3DS version had done like a boss rush mode because oh, I would man. I would love to like go back through and fight a bunch of these bosses but this one by far like it's just a, such a that fun was, fight and so challenging that was one thing the Majora's Mask did that I really appreciated and that you could just go back into the boss rooms and re-challenge the yeah. bosses mm-hmm. as many times as but, you wanted but Majora's Mask recast the sisters yeah. as good good I people too them. they're the yeah. sisters out in the them. swamp yeah. yeah that is really funny see that, there's how the, cool that is there's yeah. the swap in action yeah, yeah. again yeah. You couldn't do this in a 2D game like Mm-mm. this. Everything was centered around this 3D viewpoint. Uh, Sam, uh, why don't you tell us about your favorite boss? So in, in the middle of the water temple, you walk into a room, and there's like finally like a little bit of peace and quiet. And it, But it's not a room. It's like a, a, a giant uh, empty you know skyscape with a little little tree in the middle. And as you can see, that actually doesn't happen until a little bit later. At one point, you can't figure out how to get out of the room, and then you turn around, and there's a freaking shadow version of but, Link. But your shadow, dis- your reflection disappears. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. see your reflection when you enter, and then suddenly it's gone. And some people notice, some people don't. Yep. Yeah. I love that. It's a, it's a great little trick. I don't know why it's in this temple. It's super cool, and it's a really fun fight and hard to, hard to yeah, beat really, when you don't know what you're really doing. difficult, yeah. And now I know that because I've beat Zelda 2 in the past couple of years that, that this is the you know a, a boss in Zelda 2. I think it's the final boss. And uh, what's really funny is that that little <laughs> – like uh, the, I love that he does the little jump off into the ground. I think that's really great. But Shadow Link is just so fun. And this is like the f- frustrating thing you get into where it's like they program this to like if you are – not knowing what you're doing, like you just have to swipe over and over again. It's really funny. It's, uh, he, he copies your moves, so yeah. you got to I mean, figure out how to fight. This is your mirror image. That like, reflection is like that was graphically, seriously, the most impressive thing. Like I would just stare at this room. Mm-hmm. It looked so good. I don't know why that looked good to me, but like it, this it is does. for some reason a graphically impressive and also like it's 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 impressionistic it's not realistic yeah. it's like it doesn't look like anything they they artistically designed this to look cool but this player's strategy is not sound no <laughs> he's just it's matching just the hacking. button which yeah. means Darkling just copies everything. Right. Yeah. And then it turns into the room like it's a holodeck. Yeah. Oh, this gosh. this temple also had the abyss enemy in it, right? Yeah. Like the uh, that, yeah. It's yeah. an amoeba, so yeah, from the abyss. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like water. the big moving yeah. water. Uh Casey, 
Not Sorry. at all surprised by your pick here. It? Uh, oh, it's a uh, you got a little dragon enemy that Casey yeah. picked as her favorite boss. But actually, <laughs> this was a this was a close call between oh. uh, uh, yeah. Volvegia and and Twin Rova for me as well because this is an awesome boss fight. I also really love Phantom Ganon, but I figured I'd talk about something different. Yeah, um, Volvegia. The whole battle mechanic is like a dragon whack a mole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was interesting yeah. to have. It's to, humorous. Yeah, you get to use a giant hammer to hit a dragon coming out of a lava hole. It's a subterranean um dragon of fire or something but he so he didn't do it really quick enough if you're watching the video but if you hit the volvegia's head fast enough like as soon as he comes out of the hole um he just goes right back in and then ends up flying and you get to shoot him I love and the flying part. i just really like the design of the boss i think it's really cool i mean he's like a fire mane and horns and nintendo has repurposed this design in to a character for Hyrule Warriors, which became a very prominent character in there called Volga. Hmm. And it's like a humanoid version of Volvagia, and he's able to... So like Bowsette? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like that, Sam. <laughs> and no. like, it's, it's like a Chinese dragon design, right? Yes, which we've seen in Breath dragon. of the Wild as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I love like, his fire hair. It's cool. It's so, yeah. cool. It's so sad when he gets knocked out. Like yeah. He's also such a huge enemy. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's such an insane thing. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I played this game, just seeing the scale of this enemy kind of, you know, crawling across the sky like that. It was just like, how am I supposed to take this thing out? Like, this yeah. is Dongo's really nuts. big, too. Yeah. Totally. That was another this, one. This I boss, liked Dongo as well. Like, throwing, the, throwing bombs the into Dongo the mouth was or something. Was just, yeah. <sighs> All the bosses have those little funny subtitles. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a great touch? They, they almost it's sound like, like the wrestler intro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I added them to our run of show so we could. Did you? We, yeah. Which one? Which one is this one? Subterranean lava dragon. There you yeah, go. Sorceress <laughs> sisters. Twin Rova. Evil spirit from beyond. <laughs> Phantom Ganon. Isn't I like that, that great? one a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it, it kind of goes without saying that this game, uh, maybe even more so than other Zelda games, just absolutely chock full of secrets. There's so many weird things to do and find, like be it the the uh, giant ghost pose that that wander around at night, mm-hmm. or um, all the skulltulas, you know, the trading sequences. That was the coolest thing, having to find all the spiders. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I for you mentioned Red Dead Redemption earlier. Uh, you know, if if you play a game like that, you will notice elements that go back to this game. Like mm-hmm. in Red Dead Redemption, if you're looking for legendary animals and you're walking around and you find a sign of an animal, usually poop, yeah. it will rumble. The controller will rumble, which is a concept introduced by the rumble pack rumble in pack. Ocarina of Time. The rumble where you stone. Had this stone of oh, agony yeah, stone where of agony. you uh, you could use the rumble to find secrets. Mm-hmm. And again, that nobody had done the, done that. Nobody had thought of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, my big takeaway from this game and why I loved it so much at the time is that it is a world that's full of secrets and they encourage you to find them in such fun ways. And I always think about the first time I was in Kakariko Village, um, every person you talk to has like a little quest or something that's interesting. But you also know somebody's like, hey, gather these chickens for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun. It's almost like the town is built just for that. And like any other game, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to collect these for you. But they're hard to catch. (laughs) They're in really clever places, and as you explore, like one is and in a box. Yeah, yeah, they let you fly. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say, yeah. Imagine, yeah, imagine exactly. my surprise the first time I jumped off something high holding a chicken, and I yeah. could glide halfway across the village. And and you like, can get over the fence that way. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. one of the ways you get a heart piece. And when you get over the fence, and when you're like, looking, you're like, can I get in the windmill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I get on top of this tower? Like, oh my gosh! Like, I it, it just, as soon as that opens mm-hmm. up, you're like, I want to explore everything. 
I mess around with those cuckoos a lot, yeah. trying to get places I shouldn't be. <laughs> the uh, whoever wrote this portion of the show just put beans in all yeah. caps. <laughs> and, that. that wasn't and me, was that you? That it's was things. It's hard to remember that people don't remember this. Like there's oh. there's actually beans, magic beans you buy and you plan that to get to really cool places. Flying. So that was the coolest. Leaf. Like one of the coolest things to me was like the because you're wandering around as childling for so long. And you see these little patches, and yes. you can't figure out what it's for. And then, like, you put the bean in there, and, like, a tiny little sprout comes up, but nothing happens. And he goes, ah! Yeah, and it's like, well, that was a waste of rupees. Like, why did I do all that? And then going back past them as an adult, and you see these lily pads that mm-hmm. levitate you up to the next area, mm-hmm. just blew my mind. I was yeah. just like, that is so cool, and there's hidden secret stuff behind them. And then the graveyard. The graveyard is oh, so great in every, every Zelda, Zelda game. Yeah. And, like, in this one, you actually have lightning hitting the, yeah. the gravestone, if you remember that. Yeah. And like, it's raining and miserable. It's so freaking awesome. Yeah. That, uh, that grave that has a heart piece, if you play, as, I think, the sun song at the end, but that's full of it's creepy the re-deads. Yeah. I could... I couldn't that's do it. I went and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And then I was a baby and went and got my dad. And I was like, Too spooky. I have to get through yeah. these re And he the just ran The entry to uh, Dante's tomb with candles, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So when my daughter played that game, she <laughs> always gave me the controller the moment she saw a re-dead. Yep. And then they chomp on your head. Yeah. They're, and they're all skinless. Oh, yeah. Um, we, I just mentioned a few other really quick things in here the and secrets. And one thing I wanted to bring up is the gossip stones. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's like the little patches of dirt in which you like you see them and you don't really know what to do with them, yeah. and you can do a lot with them. You can bomb them and something happens. Can just like with the patches, yeah. you can put bugs in that and they just go away. Like, yeah, you can interact with all of these things and they're mysterious. It's not like the game is like one day we're going to tell you what these are for. It never tells you what they're for. <laughs> yeah, it's just nonsense. It's like goofy, <laughs> weird stuff. Yeah, I love, I love that. They laugh. They give you clues about uh, different things that you can do. Like they clue you into different stuff around about the game that you would never be able to find if just on you your get own. the mask yeah. much later mm-hmm. by doing a crazy mask mission. Right. Thing. That like, crazy mask mask mission is called Majora's Mask <laughs> on uh, Nintendo sixty four. Yeah. Comes back. There are so many. Th- like you were saying, there are so many secrets and different things that you can do that don't really matter. Like you can steal the fisherman's hat mm-hmm. with your fishing pole, and then he mm-hmm. just never gets it back. He's just bald for the rest of the game. That's pretty good. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you can yeah. Fish, fish his hat away. That's pretty good. And uh, <clears throat> about the beans, so if you plant one on Death Mountain when you're doing the bigger on yeah. sword side quest, mm-hmm. that's a great shortcut to get up yep. when you're, so right. your potion doesn't expire, your eye drops rather. Yeah. But there are just so many little things that you can do to make it more interesting and fun. Did you break Bigoron's sword too? That was a huge shock for me. I, oh, so you broke it? I didn't know that you could get Big Goron's yeah. sword until years after I had played the you, game you can't initially. Play big, break Big Goron's You can break the second one, the oh, second sword. Yeah, one of them breaks, right? Like before it is fortified. That's in Majora's Mask. Oh, that's in Majora's. That's what it was. But okay. it, that's a great sword, and it yeah, sucks yeah. having to have a fragile sword through it. It has like 200 hits or something like that. Uh, Nintendo would bring back the idea of a fragile sword yeah, in uh, Breath right. of the Wild. <laughs> many, many uh, times. Yeah, seriously. Uh, no, Big Gorn, you do start with a broken hilt. Yeah. That's and, what it is. And yep. but It's just like this whole trading it's, sequence. That is the most ridiculous side quests. It oh, is yeah. It's nuts. Re- the most ridiculous chain. It involves so many people across so many... Have you played, have you played Link's Awakening? No. That's got probably one of the that's craziest... That's the trading, trading quests Yeah, that's one of the yeah. craziest trading quests because you got to talk to like a crocodile and like give him a can of beans <laughs> or something. It's crazy. There's a, uh, like a goat that's in love with a person. Yeah. Aww. You meet like a little uh, chomp with a bow, a bow on her head. Yeah, there's yeah. a chain chomp in it. Straight um, up chain chomp. We got to talk a little bit about the story. We're, we're running a little long here. This is a jumbo-sized episode, but... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so... I'm sort of of the mindset that most Legend of Zelda game stories like, okay, 
it's fine. Um, this one was the first Legend of Zelda game that I feel like actually had a, a real dedicated story, right? Like it took some of the ideas from A Link to the Past and fleshed those out and like, you know, introduced the Chamber of the Sages. It uh, really went back to uh, explain what the Triforce was. Um, there's actually only only about an hour and a half of actual story cutscenes in the game. Um, but one thing that Casey mentioned earlier is that uh, they're not CG cutscenes. They're not pre-rendered cutscenes. And this was by design for Miyamoto because mm-hmm. he, uh, he, A, he didn't want to take the player out of that world. They also he didn't, didn't want, have any space left. Right. That well, he didn't want FMV characters to look different from yeah. the way that, that they looked as you were playing them, like you would see in, say, Final Fantasy VII or something like that. Um, but also, and probably a bigger reason that he addressed in the Iwata Asks uh, uh, series that I read, was that he knew that he would change something. He knew that he wanted he would come in in the eleventh hour and change things, and he wanted to have the ability to change things in cutscenes as well. And if cutscenes are pre-rendered, Look, Sam's on and, the screen. Yeah, there's Sam. If they're shipped and they're ready to go, he can't go back and change them because that's like weeks and months worth of work that he'd mm-hmm. have to retcon, right? So, yep. I thought that was really interesting. Um, this is from uh, uh, Anuma, a quote from. Um, I forget where I found this quote, actually, but uh, he says, while a lot of people say that the, they like the epic story on the level of the script, the story actually isn't that epic. It feels epic because of everything you experience within the, uh, within the game is added to the story. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes back to the idea that like, the, there's really only 90 minutes of cutscenes in this mm-hmm. game. Everything else is the, the sort of inherent player-based story that you're telling yeah. yourself. And right? it's a simple, it's a very, very simple story, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to Majora's Mask. Or, or think about you know. like, compared to something like Skyward Sword. Yep. Or, or um, to a lesser extent, Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. But like Skyward Sword to me felt like something where they're just like ham-fisting this story. Yeah. Very, but also have one of the best story beats mm-hmm. in the series, right? Like, Ocarina of Time doesn't have those moments. Right. Like, there's a moment of surprise if you didn't guess it for Sheik, for example. Right. Right. I, my, like the that was spoiled for me. Uh, I, I thought Sheik was his own person this mm-hmm. entire time. And my friend's like, oh yeah, Sheik Zelda while I was over at her place playing. I was like, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. That's so mean. <laughs> I had That's no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Miyamoto is sort of famous for talking about how he, he doesn't necessarily think that stories work in games. Like they, they don't really necessarily have like a huge place in the way that he designs games. I agree. Um, yeah, Sam, you're, you're kind of that same way. Like you don't really care about stories in games. For I just the most don't part. think ga- games are the place to tell a story. I think they're bad at it, but yeah. I think the, you can still enjoy it. And I respect you if you enjoy a story mm-hmm. in games, but I don't think that's what I get out of them. And I'd rather watch a movie or read a book yeah. yeah like i always think the the rockstar games do a really good job telling a story yeah. because they play a bunch and of movies for you no but yeah. but but in a smart way and it's it's engrossing but take something like shadow of the colossus where the story is just mm-hmm. kind of implied I, I really like that stuff and mm-hmm. ocarina of time succeeds on that level but i'm super connected to this story yep. like i i i love i love it mm-hmm. i love yeah. like the the I, I like it because it's character based and yep. there's a fantasy world that's different than so anything i've ever seen the, the characters fact, are different and the world is different the fact that you bring up the characters this game and and even more so Majora's Mask is a game that like lives and dies by its characters and it's this kind of insane world of these like kooky characters and one thing like that Miyamoto the, talked uh, about Link's Awakening is like that too yeah mm-hmm. while making it this is a quote from Miyamoto he says while making the game I noticed I didn't want to tell a story so much as I wanted to have pe- a lot of people appear around the main character and portray their re- relationships some years back this is hilarious a television show called Twin Peaks was popular and when I saw that the most interesting thing wasn't the ins and outs of the story but what kind of characters appeared that's right because so, like, nobody understood the story nah. <laughs> but like if you think about 
Twin Peaks, the characters like the Log Lady mm-hmm. and uh, you know the detective that loves Duck pie Daddy. and like yeah, all these guys, right? Like, and then you compare that to like the Happy Mask Salesman mm-hmm. and Dompe, the the graveyard to- uh, keeper. It's like, a perfect comparison. It's great. Yeah. Like it it makes sense on so many levels. There's all these weirdos that you meet throughout the course of this game that add so much flavor, but don't necessarily have anything to do with the overall story. Even the construction plot, like, workers are unique, right? Yeah. That you meet in. I love that one guy that runs like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, he's and great. they have a he has a son who doesn't want to be a construction worker, yep. and he gets like cursed and ends up in the forest. He's part of the trade quest yeah. later with a poison mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's really spooky and weird. Do, we, I, do you find out what happens to him? Because when you go back to give him the cure, the Kokiri lady is there. Oh yeah, that guy died. Yeah, ah! it's pretty tragic. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. What about that weird dude who dances? Yeah, Tingle dancer. No, there's a dude who dances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a dancing guy. Like the couples, right? No, there's like there's this weird like yoga that's on, dude. That's a Majora's was... Mask and the Mushroom. Right? Yeah, there's a there's yeah, another yeah, dancing yeah. man in uh, uh, Wind Waker as well that teaches you the uh, the Sun Song. Oh, the Elvis guy. Yeah, yeah, he's great. No, they've they've got weird side characters in this series yeah. that are just very memorable. There's a mad scientist. Oh yeah, always in the in uh in the like area. Yeah, and then later yeah. he's in the. I guess in Majora's Mask, he's in the observatory. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. That's all yep. really cool. Um, and, of course, all these weirdos and all this these plot twists and stuff are uh, underscored by uh, Koji Kondo's amazing, incredible score. Um, probably one of my, if not my very favorite score in any game to date. I wish, in retrospect, that it was instrumental, like instrumentally mm-hmm. more sophisticated mm-hmm. because it is sounds like cheesy and midi well, file like yeah. you now, but I, I absolutely like know every song in it and they are I've always played in my head. I just know them all the so the title what theme the title theme itself, uh just booting up your Nintendo sixty four and hearing those mm-hmm. Those kind of sparse piano notes at the beginning yep. and then the flute comes in or mm-hmm. I guess it's the Ocarina, right? <laughs> but um a lot of these songs have been reworked and and uh I know that there's orchestrations of them out there now mm-hmm. and they're Phenomenal. Just beautiful, but, beautiful uh, uh, pieces. But even every little ocarina song is yeah. unique and memorable and fits the locale or whatever it does. Yeah, absolutely. And it have to be played on six notes? Yeah. yeah. So That's you can... Five notes? It's so five notes. Well, those songs, yeah, but with the ocarina in Ocarina of Time, you can alter the notes that you play based mm-hmm. on the control stick. Mm-hmm. It's a whole so, toy. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, for example, like this guide that I got came with the notes to play Kakarika Village. So you can play the mm-hmm. entire theme that plays in Kakarika Village with your ocarina. Nice. Yeah. There was a there was a uh, a long period of time where as a young musician, uh my friends and I obsessed over the idea of learning like popular songs on mm-hmm. the ocarina mm-hmm. in the Ocarina of Time. Just trying to play like dumb Blink one eighty two songs yeah. or whatever like on the Ocarina. They sounded terrible, but it was a lot of fun. Because you can use the pitch bending of the analog yeah. stick and mm-hmm. do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, for sure. But but it's interesting that now like Song of Time and uh and uh Zelda's song, Zelda's Lullaby, mm-hmm. those like super iconic songs, those are just variations of three notes. Epona's song, yep. um, those are just three notes mm-hmm. and they're, they're oriented in different ways. Like <laughs> mu- musically, that's like really interesting that they made the, all these songs from basically like a very basic scale. Yeah. yeah. Super Spe- cool. Speaking of basic scale, I'm pretty sure my Scarecrow song was like all upsy. Yep. I'm pretty I sure I just like jammed on it. I did back and forth. Yeah, that's pretty good. Did you guys write a scarecrow? Yeah, song? I did. I actually have it written down in there my strategy guide. <laughs> mm-hmm. You uh, wrote in your strategy guide? The only place Shameful. I wrote it. She's a so, guide's writer. Mm-hmm. It's the only place I wrote in it. Where is it? Yeah, that's really funny. It has. Well, you got to memorize it. 
Yeah, so this has space for all of the songs. Is this was like a kind of do-it-yourself guide? A no little way. Bit. Um, you're supposed to write down the songs as you learn them yeah. in this page, uh-huh. and they have a little spot for the, your Scarecrow song, and that's, that's where really I wrote cool. it. So I wouldn't cool. forget. I didn't figure that out until way late into the game. Like, yeah, the Scarecrow. Oh, the, I couldn't scare- figure out the It's scarecrow. crazy, and then the yeah. use for it is like even crazy. You can go yeah. back into Dodongo's Cavern, yeah. like yeah. At, at, as an adult, and like use it in a back corner and get like you know a sculpture out of it. Yeah. 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 You know what else is totally obscure in that game is the song of time when there's like a song of time block that mm-hmm. you can move. Yeah. Like the only thing they tell you, they don't tell you anything. It's just like, I think it has the symbol of the Hyrule castle. Yeah, that's right. On. Yeah. yeah. Like, how would you ever know to, we, to play that song? Those were the places where I got stuck where I was like, oh, you got to play, you got to stand on the seal and play it. Yeah, like, and the seal yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are shortly running out of time here, but I did want to talk about uh, sort of the lasting legacy of Ocarina of Time. Uh, to this day, 20 years later, it's still number two on our greatest games of all times list. Uh, we updated that last year, mm-hmm. moved some stuff around, but uh, Ocarina clocked in at number two. Now, I'm personally, I'd put it in my top five. I think my favorite, I don't think, I know that my favorite Zelda game is still The Wind Waker. I, I love nice. The Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. But that's a variation on a theme, right? Like, I feel like essentially every Zelda game that came after Ocarina of Time was just a remake of Ocarina of Time with one or two new mechanics or a different art style or you this know, something so like that. This looks so good on Wii U. I can't yeah. believe how good this is. I wish they would bring it to Switch. Switch, come on. Yeah, I wish they'd bring this Me to Me too, because Damn. you know what they did with the Wii U version? They made it so you couldn't invert your controls, even yeah. though that's the way the game was originally played. Ooh. Yes, oh I'm salty. <laughs> um, you always like invert? The I always invert, invert because Ocarina of Time, you can only play inverted. I guess I forgot about that, so. which is weird because I never play anything inverted, so... Um. Um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about what what you think about Ocarina's impact on uh, subsequent Zelda games. Obviously, Majora's Mask is like this direct sequel, uses a lot of the same assets, it's but so it has different. a totally different feel and a totally different um, theme and and mechanic. So, so, so the biggest thing, and this obviously didn't come out of Ocarina of Time, but Ocarina of Time wrote the 3D template was this setup um, that the games would continue until Breath of the Wild, where mm-hmm. uh, you. Go into it. You figure out how to open a temple. You go in. You find an item. That item is used usually to escape that very room that you found it in. And then the boss boss uses the mechanics of that item for you know to teach you how to use it for the future. Right. And so it had kind of like this very confined setup of he figure out how to do all these cool puzzles. Here's the tool, and then beat the boss with it. And a right. lot of games follow. Other games followed that too. And that became this template. And I was really glad to see it broken with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. But at the same time, I miss the concept of having these boomerang puzzles and these hookshot puzzles. Like, yeah. I really like that about these games. There's a, there's a, uh, vocal contingent now that Breath of the Wild has been out for a while that, uh, of people that are saying, now saying, oh, what will, but what if Breath of the Wild's actually bad? Because Double hookshot. Because it's not like the old, old versions of Zelda. Um, what about you guys? You have any any thoughts on subsequent Zeldas and and Ocarina's impact on them? I think Ocarina was bad for the series. Like I think it's my it's my favorite Zelda game, and like I love it. Um, I I really wish the series had not taken away the bad parts of it. 
which are like let's lock, like just what Paris saying. I don't think they should have taken away like let's do this exact style of dungeon from here on out, mm-hmm. and let's take the these not an open world but like a series of interconnected you know, places hubs and, yeah. and hubs and make that Zelda. Like I'm so happy that Breath of the Wild broke out of that. Yeah, me too. Like, mm-hmm. But but Breath of the Wild still is doing the same thing that Ocarina did. It's just which is like changing. You know, from 2D to 3D, that jump mm-hmm. was as big as uh, Ocarina to, to Breath, Breath of the Wild. Wild for me because of the because of making an open world work. Mm-hmm. Like that jump was so crazy huge. Yeah, and I'm so happy it did that. Um, but I'm I'm sad that after Ocarina was the exception of the Game Boy games and Majora's Mask. I think Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess were just really the wrong direction. Yeah, I'm not I, a huge proponent. I, of I, either. I really love like, Twilight Princess. I love Twilight Princess yeah. as well. Skyward Sword, I had issues because of the gameplay. It's better than you remember it. If you go back, it is because I loved they it at the time. Used the, just, like they use the motion controls, uh, and obviously that those are each game has a unique element, and it's mm-hmm. usually centered around the overworld, right? And they didn't want to repeat themselves after Ocarina of Time. Uh, and Majora's Mask with this kind of two worlds in the same place and you use a horse to get around. And so it's almost like every game had like the MacGuffin. It's like now you have a ship. Now you had a train. Right. Now, now you have a bird. And they kind of – I felt like Ocarina of Time set that up and then they repeated that. Link to the Past didn't have a horse or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do wish they had broken out of that. But I think Twilight Princess is just this – Twilight Princess is almost like Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's like – everything from the series in one place and you can ride a you you have a canoe and you have a horse and you have all this stuff and you turn really into a wolf that <laughs> and you turn into wolf right um but i hear you i you know i it's it's cool to see the series change so drastically but part of me thinks oh wouldn't it be cool if you had breath of the wild but now they reintroduce some of the temples and the concepts of items into it mm-hmm. i want to go in the water again i want to put on my iron iron boots and walk on the bottom of a lake yeah i think rebuilding this game in a bigger better way using breath of the wild would be really fun mm-hmm. like yeah. a mod of, of this game breath of the wild that's not just the same hyrule field but hyrule field is interesting and big but it's just like the dungeons and i love the characters and stuff in this game they're so so remarkable and cool i'd love to revisit them and so bring back the mirror like i did way. like in link to the past i loved going between the two different worlds anywhere mm-hmm. like once you get that power you yeah. didn't have that in ocarina of time it was tethered to the Growing up mechanic and putting yeah. the sword back and everything. Yeah. You always have to go back to the yeah. temple. Yeah, time. it gets a little uh, cumbersome. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ocarina's impact on on gaming at large. I, I thought this was really interesting. We interviewed uh, Dan Hauser in 2012. That's Rockstar's vice president. Mm-hmm. I said we, but I, I don't think this came from an IGN interview. Uh, he said uh, back then, anyone who's making 3D games now and says that they've not borrowed something from Mario or Zelda 64 is lying. <laughs> so I think that's pretty telling. <laughs> like... <laughs> This game clearly redefined the way that we thought about 3D open worlds, the way that we thought about action uh, action adventures, uh, the way we thought about combat in games. Uh, we, we've kind of covered this earlier in the episode, but is there anything else anybody wanted to say in terms well, of... We just like, created the horse mechanic you use in, in games like The Witcher, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody, yeah, except The Witcher's horse is dumb. Somebody, no, no, but somebody in Shadow of the Colossus. Somebody would have figured out to do horses in a game sure. like Ocarina of Time eventually, but... After after Ocarina of Time showed how it was done, everybody's like, "Yeah, you walk up, you hit A to get on, and you know you hold button to get off, and you can jump over things if you go fast enough." Like all of those mechanics are present now, still, right. and they they're almost implemented the exact same way. Uh, yeah. You guys have any thoughts on that? About what other games learned from this? Game? Yeah, 
I mean, it's really funny that there's the, the term Zelda like took on a different quality after this. And like there's games like Beyond Good and Evil mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. like directly copy this. Dark yeah. Siders. But not too many of them. Right. Yeah. And even though this hard. game was yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even though this game was so influential and cool, there's not a lot of games like Ocarina of Time, except for other Zelda games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like that's pretty interesting. And I, and I think it is because it's hard. I'm yeah. trying to think Expensive. of other other games now that have that besides Darksiders. Like would you consider like Prince of Persia? Mm. Uh, it's yeah. a little bit too too actiony. Yeah, like I mean, yes. it feels almost like the modern assassin creed games are closer to this. You know, like they I reintroduce honestly, some of the puzzles and yeah. the pyramids. And I also know. got I honestly got a lot of Zelda vibes from uh, uh, God of War earlier yeah. this year. Oh yeah, God I felt like War God of War felt like mm-hmm. almost a, a more of a classic Zelda throwback than yeah, yeah than a God of War throwback. Based, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it's it's hard to not hard to play a game and not see the influences nowadays. Mm-hmm. And like people, game companies, I'm sure when when Mario 64 came out, I think a lot of developers said, "Thank you for figuring out this damn camera." Because if you go back and play games like Jumping Flash, where you're navigating, Ooh. it's first person, but you're navigating these these Platforms 3D environments, and, yeah. like you just fall because you can't tell where you are. Yeah. And this game, these games, just set set developers up for success that's mm-hmm. a really good point i the the 3d of these games is also for me very revisitable mm-hmm. like i can i have no problem with mario 64 and very little problem with this and i've heard people say like it's hard to go back and play zelda or if they're playing it for the first time it's weird for them mm-hmm. so i've been but, like, working man, through... i picked it up yesterday and just went yeah exactly i did everything i needed to do i've been so working easily. through this game for just to play it for the 20th anniversary and it's been since the 3ds version was released and i i will say i don't think that's it's aged poorly but it certainly shows its age in the fact that it's it's very slow it's very like not tedious, but like you have to go back to the temple of time to like change between your two forms. Like you got to do all these block puzzles. Like there's there's things that are like very of an age, and that that's the only thing that like really encumbers counterpoint. It does have the fast shortest travel. intro? That's true. It does. Yeah, it does have fast travel. travel. Yeah, with has, the uh, the songs. And it's the yeah. shortest intro to any Zelda game. Yeah, that's true too. You are in a dungeon, and like right it's away. like time to dungeon is like yeah. five minutes. Of yeah, game. Link to the Past is the same way. Super cool. You go straight into the castle, like right from the outset. Yeah, um, a little sword. Yeah, but it I, got I, it got away from that. After yeah, that. After that's that. what was disappointing. So I I think we would be remiss, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about all the timeline theories that have come out of this uh, this this particular game. Like Ocarina of Time is the game that is um, the sort of genesis for all the timeline theories. And at the time, it was the earliest game in the series. It was supposed to be like the first right um but the idea that uh you've got these different endings based on whether excuse me whether ganon won whether link won right splinters the zelda timeline ultimately miyamoto says i wish people would just stop talking about the timeline like (laughs) nobody cares like it's not a big deal like it shouldn't you shouldn't worry about it Mm -hmm. i spent years obsessing over the timeline in the Zelda series after Ocarina of Time because it was interesting to me and it added depth and lore to a series that doesn't have a ton of that. Um, But as the older that I get and the more Zelda games that I play, the more I'm like, I don't care about the timeline. It doesn't matter when these games I, take place. I really think the only Zelda game that matters in the timeline is Skyward Sword because that Cause just that's explains the very, very first one. what yeah. the furthest back in the past that right. happened I, I like when they reference each other even though they're they don't look the same right like the way you find the castle in wind waker for mm-hmm. example even though that's really cool it's a completely different take on the on the legend like that connective tissue is really cool i wish they had taken care from the beginning to tell stories that link together Mer. Nah. but um no I, the, the stuff though that i do like is like uh, in twilight princess when you fight the skeleton you're like 
who is that? Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. just the the little nuggets that they they put in these games well, that yeah. could be connections. Since Twilight Princess is just it's high rule. It's laid yeah. out almost yeah. exactly how Ocarina of Time is. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, but then also like Sky, uh, not Sky, so sorry, Breath of the Wild takes that and turns it all on its ear yeah. because everything from every Zelda game is in that game, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this weird amalgamation of all the different games, almost like they're kind of looking at it like just put them all together. It doesn't matter. Like here's the Zelda multiverse all in one, you know, area. I think that's really interesting. Um, we saw a couple of reissues of this game. We talked about the Master Quest. Um, we haven't really talked about the 3DS version very much, but um, the 3DS version to me is the definitive version of this game. Um, it streamlines a lot of the sort of clunkier mechanics of uh, menu navigation, uh, map stuff. It looks great. Like it's a beautiful, basically reskin. Um, they... It's funny because this game looked this way to me as a kid. Yep. But going back and playing it on 64 now and seeing like how low res it really is. Link's got a kinda, funny nose. Yeah, it's kind of baffling. But then you look at the, the 3DS version and the 3DS version is uh, Link is so much more animated. There's so many more textures. Like it's it's such a prettier version of this game. It um, looks good in 3D. It looks good in it's 3D. Gorgeous, yeah. yeah, it's a great game. Uh, yeah, and they, they streamed like there, there were a couple of uh, places where people got stuck. One was, uh, uh the area where you're supposed to uh, meet someone behind the village mm-hmm. and, uh, she only shows up during a certain time and like people got stuck there and they kind of ironed out some of those rough edges mm-hmm. and made it a little bit more intuitive. So it definitely is a better version of the game overall. Mm-hmm. Better animation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, better textures. Yeah, creepy fairy still. Yeah. Uh, this is the version that when I want to go back to Ocarina of Time, this is the one that I play the most. This is what I've been playing most recently. Uh, it's great. Uh, you want this one on Switch too? Mm, yeah, they'll, why they'll, not? They'll have to spruce it up a little bit more. Huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, I mean, if they're going to bring any version to the Switch, I feel like it would probably mm-hmm. be this one. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. It's cool as the Master Quest too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Totally. So, it's a, it's a special episode. It's a jumbo-sized episode. Uh, but that doesn't mean... That we don't have time to play a little game. Oh, that I like to call the question block. Oh, that's not a game. No, you're right. It's definitely not a game. Uh, Gregory Allen writes in and says, "I was late to the party and didn't beat Ocarina of Time until the GameCube version that came uh, with pre-ordering the Wind Waker. I ended up loving this game way more than I expected and was start, uh, hyped to start the Wind Waker. What version of Ocarina of Time has been your favorite? Will N64 always be the best due to nostalgia, or have the GameCube or 3DS versions topped that experience for you in many ways?" We just talked about this. So, it's, yeah. It's tough. Like, you can never separate yourself from the first time you play something mm-hmm. because you have all these warm, fuzzy feelings about discovery, sharing with your friends, experiencing some something for the first time. And so even though I'd say 3DS is the better version, it's just like I remember that level of excitement around the original release and like it just can't be replicated. Yeah. I'll tell you the Rumble Pack with a 64 controller and a CRT television is still really, really interesting and fun to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that. I feel that's par for the course. You're a retro dude. Yeah, that seems right. Yep. Casey, what about you? Uh, I uh, it's actually kind of difficult going back to the 64 controller now. Mm-hmm. Like I played a little it's bit of um, yeah, I played a little bit of Ocarina of Time yesterday when Sam hooked it up, and I was like, oh man, this controller feels real weird because it's been such a long really time. Really weird, awesome. Yeah, but really great. I mean, you can always. Yeah. It's like riding a it's bicycle. It's a terrible right? controller. <laughs> There's no way to play this game on a good controller except for like GameCube and Wii ports. Yeah. It. Because so, like the 3DS is not a good way to play it either. Yeah, you can play it on the virtual console on the Wii. Slider? Come on. With the, with the GameCube controller and I think that's that's fine. Yeah. I think that's a uncomfortable controller. That would be controller. the best way to play it. Yeah. I would have I to get say so, that. It, it might be muscle memory. I get so used to the N64 controller yeah. so quickly. Yeah. It works yeah. for this game and Mario so well, but as yeah. soon as you put in GoldenEye, 
Oh my goodness. Mario yeah. Mario 64 specifically, I feel like you got to play on a 64 controller. It just feels foreign to play anywhere else. Um, okay, Kevin Sella writes in and says, First time playing Ocarina of Time was on GameCube in college, the Wind Waker pre-order disc, alongside two others, one who had played before and one who had not. We took turns, declared ourselves wisdom, power, and courage, and would only play when the other two were present. It took us the bulk of the semester, but when we beat Ganon at 2 a.m. and watched the end credits together, it was all worth it. It's crazy to think that this single-player game could create such a communal experience. Not really a question, but I thought it was yeah. a nice story. So and I like the play and watch. That was yeah. always so fun. So you experienced what we experienced when we reviewed the game. Mm. So when we got our copy, we basically we had to finish the day's work, publish IGN 64, and then Matt and I just sat in, in a room playing this game all night until the morning, fell asleep in the office, and then woke up and started to play again. And that, like, <laughs> when you get to the end, we used to hand off the, we handed off the controller. Mm. It was just such a, such a great memory. Yeah. Like when you guys died, you'd hand off the controller, or huh? when each of you died, you'd hand it off. No, or like just it was you just felt. whatever. Yeah. You're like, okay. all right, you figure this out. Yeah. Ocarina yeah. of Time was the game that connected to me to two of my best friends when I was a kid. One of which I met her when I was eight because we even both after loved. she spoiled that Sheik yeah. was Zelda for you. Even after that, yeah. it's okay. I that so that story. One of my favorite memories is I was having a sleepover at her house and we were playing The Legend of Zelda, going through Jabby Jabby's belly with her little brother, and. We were at the end of the dungeon, and we needed to fight the boss, and mm. we had very low hearts. So we were going outside of Jabu's mouth to break the pots to get hearts, and we were going in and out repeatedly, yeah. and then would cheer every time we got <laughs> a heart because it got us that much closer to the boss. Right. And just I have memories like that with friends, and one of my friends, um, Sarah, that I've known since I was eight, and we connected because of our love of this game are still friends now. Yeah. Like 20 years later and that's insane to me and it was all because of this game. Yeah. Oh. Um okay, Ross Plummer, the great uh, Russ, the Russ great Plummer. Russ Plummer, he writes in and says, "Casey, you kind of covered this, but uh <laughs> did the did the host use a strategy guide? Do do you miss the nerdy feeling of having a book dedicated to the game and this is an excellent opportunity to plug <laughs> IGN wikis," he says. Thanks, Russ. <laughs> yeah. Do we have a full strategy guide for this game? So oh, we yeah. do. We have a really great uh, strategy guide for Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. So if you start playing it again, you should check out that wiki. I worked in that guide personally. Um, the, the, when the 3DS one came out, I really went in there and, and revamped it. Uh, really proud of that one. It was, um, there was no guide when I played it. I was uh, looking. I was yeah, looking there at, were print guides. No, it was coming out. Uh, oh, the game was out. Yeah, yeah, you played it before. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at the, the guide for uh, getting bigger on Sword to like mm. refresh my memory, and it's a really good guide. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, we uh, when I was playing this game, I, I absolutely got to a point where I was like, I wasn't stuck, but I was like, I'm really curious. I want to get do everything in this game, mm -hmm. and that's why I got the strategy guide for it. I was like, I want to get all hundred spiders. I would never do that by myself. No. Myself. Yeah. So uh, I went out and I went to like you know there was the big box era for bookstores. I guess I went to like a Borders or something, and on the shelf they had different strategy guides. Yeah. For it. And I got like the pulpiest, cheapest, like crappiest one. Like I, it wasn't even a main company. And I brought in the Brady one and the Nintendo Power one today, which are both labeled the official strategy They're guides. Both labeled <laughs> official strategy yeah. guides. Uh, but this one was not. It was called the unofficial Zelda strategy guide. I still don't know who published it. I've never seen that copy to this day. But uh, and I lost mine, but I loved it so much. Yeah. Like, I awesome. remember how ratty yeah. it got. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, this is it. And I you have them on the floor when you're a kid. You know? yeah, yeah. I I would read this as a book when I went to sleep mm -hmm. because it was written narratively. Mm -hmm. It's like Link went into the water temple and knew that he needed something to. And That's it was so all, wild. Like, written like you gotta that. Hold and up that other book you have. Thing. There. What? Which one? That one. This one. <laughs> I have a How to Draw Zelda. <laughs> it's um. Is it from that era? Yeah. Hey Casey, See, Zelda's the girl. 
Yeah. No. Casey, this is the book you can write in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. hey. This is on. this is old? This is from that time? Yeah. So oh, wow. Cool. Wait, I didn't know they did tie-ins like this. Uh, there should be a copy. Oh, 2001. Yeah, it came oh. out right after Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. Look what's on the back. Hey, kids, you Check like killing these bugs? Yeah. <laughs> I think now you can color is, them. There's some Majora's Mask stuff in there. There's Sylvania. There, that's really cool. <laughs> Have you ever encountered any old stuff that says the Ocarina of Time that has the the in it? Because I remember speaking to Nintendo of America when they said, yes, we've got approval to remove the the from the title. Whoa. Oh, man. Yeah, it was going to be toot. It was going to be toot. Well, this is the funniest thing is that a lot of the preview issues of magazines we found say Zelda 64. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Game Shark says Zelda, Zelda 64. 64. Oh, wow. I remember yeah. when I, I don't first... think the game came, came. Did the name come in hot, maybe? Must have. No, yeah. we just we just I mean, got used is... to calling it that. That oh, was shorthand is, for this it. This is yeah. June of 98, yeah. which yeah. means that it was probably written in called, April or May, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. when I first heard the term Zelda 64, I thought they were talking about a totally different game. Yeah. Like I said, I was totally removed from media and everything that had to do with games we... then. We so call, I didn't know. <laughs> we called it Zelda 64 even after the title had been announced because you get so used to it. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is Legend of Zelda 64. The Ocarina, the Ocarina of Time. Oh, they actually knew it at that time already. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But on the cover, just Zelda 64. Yeah. How funny. I love this I love this next-gen magazine, too, because it's it's got the gold cart and it's embossed. So that was uh, only a limited really run cool. with the embossed cart. Yeah. So if you, got the, if you bought it in a store, you wouldn't have had that cover. And it's wild because, like, the gold on it has held up so well. Nice, yeah. like, nicely done, Pear. And you wrote for this life. magazine. I did, yeah. Yeah. And we, several IGN A couple of reviews in there. Involved. Yep. Yes. Uh, last question here before we have to wrap up, and that comes from our friend Chris Davies, who asks, do you think that Breath of the Wild or any future Zelda will have the long-lasting cultural impact that Ocarina of Time has? Uh, Sam, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, cultural impact, I-, I-, I don't know. I can't speak to you yet. But I will say it's that... It's not one of those pop culture games like Super Mario Brothers where like you play the music and everybody knows it. Right. It didn't get to that level. And I don't really know why. I mean, I think it's because Nintendo 64 wasn't as popular as the NES. I mean, are you talking about Ocarina? Because yeah. I feel like Ocarina is a... a Sort of a cultural milestone, especially with, it with is gamers for but, us. Yeah, but like my parents would have no idea what it is. But everybody yeah. knows who Mario. I mean, they is. they mm-hmm. even had Ocarina of Time cameos in like the Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been it's in what way? Uh, so there was a little scene of I think Buttercup or Bubbles playing a game, and it started with someone getting smashed with a rock and the fairy going, "Hey, listen, hey, listen," over mm-hmm. and over That's again. Fine. Yeah. No, uh, but but you're right. Obviously, the the old classics like you know even Pac-Man, all of that. They yeah. they're more culturally just better known in the end. Yeah, I don't know why though. Uh, the beginning. I, I yeah, will say that earlier. that Breath of the Wild to me maybe not whether or not it's as culturally impactful remains to be seen. Mm. But I will say that that you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that uh, Zelda 64 <laughs> Ocarina of Time is to the original Zelda games. Uh, what Breath of the Wild is to Ocarina, right? Like, it is the way that Nintendo showed us what a 3D action game could be and how to to navigate a 3D world and things like that versus how to create an open world, how to incentivize players for really relying on exploration and intuition. Like, Breath of the Wild to me is the perfect open world game and, frankly, the blueprint for what I think any open world game should be looking at moving yeah. forward. I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, that to me just feels like a, a reskinned version of Breath of the Wild in a way. But, like, so it'll be the next generation that's looking at Breath of the Wild, the games that haven't been in development for four or five years that are like, oh, we should 
take some uh, examples. You gotta remember, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah, of course mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. So if nobody kept on making Ocarina of Time, I'm worried that people won't keep on making Breath of the yeah. Wild. So, but there are elements in Breath of the Wild that um, you know th- that I think will will now persist where when somebody's making a game and they put a limitation in their game, they'll say, well, that's no longer acceptable. It used to be in a video game, you walk up to a fence and that fence, even if it was just as high as <laughs> your waist, you it. can't get over it. No. There's no way. And like then it, uh, games let you climb it like Ocarina of Time and you can't do that anymore. With Breath right. of the Wild, you see the impact on Assassin's Creed Odyssey where now you can pli- climb anything and like they, you know, they're no longer these kind of artificial... Uh, uh, lockouts, like they even, open the world up much earlier. I think you'll see that a lot. That was even one of the things I noticed playing Red Dead because I had mm-hmm. just come from playing Assassin's Creed and it's like, I can't climb this steep hill. What's right. going on? Why can't I do this? Yeah. yeah. So I think that kind of thinking is going to be more prevalent because of games like Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and not not to say Breath of that Breath of the Wild invented this, right? Oh, yeah, like no. the Elder Scrolls games mm-hmm. had a giant map and you can go anywhere and get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the best part was trying so, to scale a mountain with a horse, but, right? But yeah. we can say The Legend of Zelda invented that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then this game basically said, if you see it, you can scale it, unless when it's raining. Right, unless it's <laughs> raining. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, thank you so much thank for you, taking a trip down memory lane, and, and uh, thank you out there for letting us uh, wax nostalgic about the Ocarina of Time for well over an hour. Um, this is such an important game to me, and uh, I'm glad that we had an opportunity mm-hmm. to sit here and kind of celebrate it for its 20th anniversary. Sam's going to mm-hmm. jump right in. I and, said this and, earlier, but I don't think I would be here if I hadn't played Ocarina of Time when I was young. Yeah, I mean, honestly, same. Like it's such an important game because it it encouraged me to continue playing games in exactly. my adulthood and like yeah I, I will love this game forever and I we hope that you out there love this game forever as well. Um, next week's episode or the next episode I should say all about Pokemon. Apologies for those of you out there who are dying to hear us talk that about trailer. the Detective Pikachu trailer or uh, you know our, well, our Pokemon. You Let's guys Go can review. just call us up. We'll talk about Pokemon. If you yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Uh-huh. Next time, yeah. Um, Thank you so much for watching. Remember, NVC is uh, IGN's Nintendo show, and you can catch us every week right here at 3 p.m. on Thursdays uh, on IGN.com and 3 p.m. on Fridays on YouTube. Uh, Take it easy, guys. We'll see you next week, and don't forget, get out there and get the thing. (laughs) Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.